all connected. Everything. You are listening to episode 103 of It's All Connected. This is Russ, and joining me is Matthew. Hey. And uh, we're a little late recording this, uh, but history in the making. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I am a enormous Chicago Cubs fan, and uh, they finally, after 71 years, have made it to the World Series. Uh, so it's kind of occupied a little bit of my time, and uh, it's, it's something that is near and dear to my heart, just like uh, the Marvel Universe uh, is so it's it's been a little bit distracting but uh but well well worth being distracted by something that you know uh that i've been waiting literally generations of my family have been waiting for so uh <laughs> yeah. so i apologize for kind of the erraticness of the episodes but uh but hopefully here we'll we'll start to get back on track uh and cover this stuff the only uh, last episode 102 was a news episode so we're not going to really get into news but of course, uh, something always comes up, and we got the teaser trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and uh, so the yes, whole thing was yeah, it was kind of set to hook down a feeling, kind of in the background, and it's just a lot of image uh, flashes in the beginning, and then we get a really funny scene between uh, Drax and Star Lord. So uh, overall, I'm I'm really optimistic about it, and it looks like it's just going to be just as much fun as the first one was. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we know that Yondu's going to be basically part of the group now. Because um, we also got the po- a poster, I guess like a teaser poster yes. or yes. whatever you want to call it. That black and, and white image thing. Yeah, with them all up against the wall and Yondu and Nebula have joined the other five Guardians. Um, and, you know, it looks like a super cool like band photo or something. Them all like yeah up against the wall. Yeah. Um, and and it's really nice because yeah, I feel like Marvel, as much as I love Marvel, they really blow it in the poster department most of the time. They usually have more. those. Yeah, they're they're just like these Photoshop messes where it's like every character's. It, it's either the thing where it's like the main character and then all behind them is all the other characters, which seems to be like the predominant like action movie poster now. Yep. I think maybe the first or second Iron Man did it. Now it's like every one of them. Or, you know, it's something like Avengers where it's just too many things going on. It, it's all super Photoshop. So it was nice to see just like the characters in a photo. And considering two of the characters in there are CGI, it looked less, you know, fake look and real. Yeah. Photoshop-y than, than the other images. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, funny you, you mentioned, I'll do a little side tangent here, but funny you mentioned movie posters. So I think I've talked about it on this show before, but I'm a huge fan of and a collector of Mondo posters. Yeah, those are amazing. Yeah, so uh, yesterday, part of the reason, again, why we're, we're somewhat delayed is yesterday I drove to Austin for the day and attended MondoCon. They do this oh, convention right. every year. This is the third year they've done it. Uh, the last two years I've just had some family stuff and couldn't make it. Uh, so this year, kind of on a whim, at the last minute, I just bought a ticket, drove up, and they had some really cool stuff on sale. And one of them was, uh, and I skipped on 
so there, there's an artist they have that uh, named Tyler Stout. He is very prolific at Mondo. He does the very I don't know if you've seen. It's hard to describe over the over the audio, but he does the very busy looking Mondo posters. So if you've seen like the Mondo version of the Avengers. Or I'm trying to think of what else he would have done. He's done some Star Wars stuff, uh, and he did the the first Guardians of the Galaxy uh, poster, and and they're very busy, very intricate, detailed, usually uh, mono or dual chromatic. They're not really my style, uh, you mm-hmm. know. They're they're the most one of the most some of the most sought after posters that Mondo does, um, but but they're just not my style. So they had one available there for Guardians of the Galaxy that was done by the artist Jock and. Uh, so oh, if you're, cool. yeah, yeah. If you're not familiar with Jock, he's he's primarily like a comic book artist. But Mondo has kind of added him, British comic book artist, and Mondo has kind of added him to their staple. So he's done several things. He's done some Batman stuff, uh, but he did this Guardians poster, and uh, I'll, I'll put a I'll put a picture of it up on the uh, on the Facebook page. But it's 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 kind of the lineup with the typical like uh, height lines in the background, like a, like a mugshot photo, and it's mm-hmm. all of them kind of lined up butted up against each other in their prison yellows and the paper it's done on yellow paper. So it's almost like a, there's a lot of like negative space going on, uh, you know, where the yellow kind of blend their uniforms basically just blend into the background of the paper. And, um, so it's, it's like a black and white done on yellow paper. Uh, it, it was really cool. Um, and, and the likenesses are, are pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, again, he's a little more photorealistic than, than some of the others, but, but just kind of the stylistic elements to it were cool. So, uh, so I was able to, to snag one of those that I'll have, uh, put up here soon. Cool. But yeah, I, overall, I, uh, I, I, I like the trailer. We got a little, uh, bit of baby Groot in there. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is starting to get a lot of buzz. Yeah. Um, we definitely see him fighting that tentacle monster that was teased in the in the like promo art. Well, I mean, you you there's a scene where Gamora is like sort of running and attacking something, and there are tentacles sort of flying around in the background. Um, and there was that that promo art that got put out. I, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, that had all of them flying around in space fighting some sort of big uh, tentacled space alien. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, and apparently that's supposed to be the intro to the movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if these are just some of the, like, very early scenes in the movie uh, just sort of cut together. And apparently yeah. we're getting, like, a proper trailer or teaser. I, I, I think James Gunn said it wasn't even a teaser. Yeah, He, he was, was weird, weird about defining it, even yeah. though that's sort of literally what a teaser is. But I feel like teaser's taken on a new meaning now where it's it's got to be more I, I don't really know i mean to me that felt like a, a teaser i mean it was yeah, yeah i don't know what else you would call it yeah, it was like a minute and a half so i mean yeah, was it, was, it was professionally done there was yeah. there were scenes finished effects i mean uh, um but you know regardless we, we're getting something else you know teaser trailer related uh soon it seems like yeah which makes sense i mean we're you know, May the movie comes out. So yeah, and we're close to Doctor Strange, so I'm I'm sure they're going to want to do something. I, yeah, I would that. imagine. So, I would bet maybe the week of Doctor Strange, maybe we'll get the teaser online, and then it'll be in front of Doctor Strange. Yeah. So yeah, we're getting close. I mean, <clears throat> as you listen to this, depending on when I get it edited on the road, uh, we'll be uh, right about a week away from Doctor Strange. So yeah. That's um, <laughs> 
Yeah, which we have a lot coming up. Yeah, we got a lot to cover coming up. So I think more than likely, what we'll do is Doctor Strange is probably going to be its own thing uh, where we'll yeah, just talk yeah. about Doctor Strange because uh, I'm hoping to get kind of the band back together too on that one. So we'll try and find a date to record that makes sense for all of us. You you know, usually we're pretty good sometime opening weekend or shortly thereafter to get that done. So so definitely stay tuned for Doctor Strange. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention uh, was the contest that we talked about in episode 102. Uh, the response has been amazing. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's uh, that's entered. I'm going to keep this going through October. So we'll pick a winner. Uh, maybe what we'll do is we'll announce a winner for on the Doctor Strange show. That's not that sounds like a like a good time to do that. Uh, so that'll that'll give everybody a chance through October uh, to enter. So we've gotten a lot of. Uh, Facebook uh, entries, which is awesome. We've got, I've got a few email entries. We've got some Twitter response, which is fantastic. Um, and then uh, John kind of, we kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. And uh, for those that uh, that kind of give a look and a like to the new endeavor that John and I kicked off over at Alpha Dads, uh, we'll we'll kind of uh, kick in a bonus entry uh, if you go over and like that page. So John's keeping track of all that. Um, but yeah, the response has been amazing. Uh, it's a pretty good contest. Like I said, that uh, that Captain America Collector Core box was pretty impressive. I was really happy with it. Um, so, like we said, if if uh, you know, d- just respond, Team Cap, Team Iron Man, to either email iac at hhwlod.com, uh, respond to us on Twitter at mcu underscore podcast, head over to the Facebook page uh, MCU podcast, Facebook, facebook.com slash MCU podcast and put team cap team Ironman. Uh, and like I said, the way I'm going to figure this out is, uh, whoever gets picked wins the box period. Uh, that, that, that's a, that's a gimme. Um, but if you, if I, the winner I pick also has the most votes versus, you know, of team cap versus team Ironman, uh, we'll kick in a digital code for one of the phase two movies that we've got. So, uh, so it's a pretty cool pack, and then, like I said, we've got uh, we've got some extra codes laying around. So over time, we'll we'll kind of meter those out uh, as well. Cool, fantastic. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of news, uh, and and like I said, a little bit of contest update. Uh, so we're gonna dive right in and cover. So we're a little bit behind on Agents of Shield, uh, and then we're gonna talk some Luke Cage because we're a little bit behind on that too. Uh, we're gonna kind of quickly cover. Uh, episodes two, three, and four of Agents of Shield season four, uh, and you know part of that is just we're kind of wanting to catch up. Part of it is uh, I am about to a little little behind the curtain thing. I'm about to head out of town for for the week, so we're trying to get this in the can uh, so I can get uh, an episode up so so you all have something to to listen to over the next uh, week or so. So can, since I will be gone next week, we will be off uh, next week. So we'll we'll do some catch up on episode five of Agents of Shield. Um, so it's going to be uh, episode two, meet the new boss. Episode three, uprising, and episode four, uh, let me stand next to your fire. And uh, you know, we kind of talked about this on the preview, but I and, and this isn't hyperbole for me. But this show just keeps getting better. Uh, I think they kind of retooled season four. Um, I think I think every episode it gets better. I think the characters they've introduced is better. I think having Jeffrey Mace as the director as opposed to Coulson is working very well. I like yeah. that we're getting Coulson back in the field. We saw with the last episode where we get, um, you know, old familiar Coulson. It felt like, you know, putting on a comfortable pair of shoes where he was back in his, his suit and tie. 
uh, you know, like we, we saw him in the beginning. So there's a lot of great stuff, I think, going on with the show. Uh, it's a shame that the ratings are not reflective of that, but um, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, and we've talked about this a, a million times, that it's just probably, um, probably just is what it is. It's and you know unless uh, Iron Man or Cap or somebody shows up in one of the episodes, yeah, we're probably not going to see like a surge in uh, ratings all of a sudden. I think I think the the slight reboot, the new time slot, the Ghost Rider thing, those were all their sort of like multiple hail marys and uh, yeah. So so we probably are where we are uh, for the rest of the season, and you know I guess we'll see from there, but. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame because I, I agree. I think it's gotten a lot tighter. I, I really like the new storyline. I think they've done a good job right off the bat of streamlining all the stories. And, uh, you, you know, why I think it's easy to talk about all these sort of together is though there's been a lot of interesting stuff that we could, you know, spend for forever dissecting. It's also sort of building towards some stuff that we'll probably start seeing pay off in the next few episodes. So, um yeah, I, I think it's had some good forward momentum, and, and, and I love Ghost Rider and Gabriel Luna. Yeah. Um, the only plot, and I've mentioned this in my reviews over at MCU Exchange, the only plot that I had a big problem with the way it's been executed is the Radcliffe, Ada, uh, and essentially May plot. Um, so I don't know. May, we'll, we can get into that a little later maybe, but yeah, <coughs> everything, everything else has been working, I think, really well. Yeah. Uh, So I guess we'll start with Meet the New Boss. Uh, The the big premise of Meet the New Boss is that we literally meet the new boss. And uh, it's kind of, you know, after the the premiere episode, we get this tease as to who the director is. We kind of get this this thought in our mind based on the way the characters are reacting, the way that uh, that Simmons is going about her day, that this guy is kind of a hard ass and you know, no nonsense and just kind of this tyrant of a guy. And mm-hmm. we talked about it, you know, in the premiere episodes that we kept thinking that it was a bit of a misdirect and this is, yeah. this guy is going to have a bit of a softer side. And, uh, I really like the charisma of Jason O'Mara as, uh, as Jeffrey Mace. I, I think he, he's able to be charismatic and firm at the same time. So while he's very, uh, much in line of chain of command and order and, you know, and, yeah, and those kind of things. Very bureaucratic. Yeah. But he's personable. Like you, yeah, we, definitely. We, we find that out when they kind of interact with the guy. It's like, you can't not like him, you know, even though you disagree with him, he's, he just has that charisma. Um, yeah. He's not dissimilar to Colson in a lot of ways when we first met him. Yeah. You know, yeah. very bureaucratic and stuffy, but at the same time, a little, you know, sort of funny and, self-deprecating doesn't take himself he doesn't take himself too seriously but he takes the job really seriously yes yes uh and um yeah and i think colson maybe had a little bit of both like he he took himself seriously and the job seriously he's loosened up over time obviously but um but i i just like the the way that they're portraying this this director um and that he like he plays the game right like he knows he knows both ends of it like he he yeah he knows how to to be political and to to you know soften up and to put on the happy face and you know make everything uh, you know come across as being great, uh, and, and while also being you know a decent director. 
so I've, I've, I was a little skeptical about how that was going to play off. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Mace uh, was is a character that they dug up from the comics. Uh, he's called the Patriot, and uh, inspired by Captain America in the comics, and took over as Cap for a while when Cap uh, was gone. You know, frozen after World War II. So, uh, in in obviously in Agents of Shield, he's an Inhuman. He has uh, in invulnerability, yeah. it, it appears, or at least limited invulnerability and super strength, uh, as we as we found at the end of the episode. Yeah, that was a good twist. I did not see that coming yeah yeah it was kind of odd that they would take an inhuman and put him in charge of the agency but but again it makes it makes sense yeah and they talk about it yeah you know colson says like basically his his recommendation was that the next director be someone powered and they even say you know rogers is a wall or else you know it would have been him right so yeah and and in the comics you know there was a, a time when when uh steve was the head of shield Yes, when yes. Uh, Bucky was the uh, when Bucky was Captain America. So yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that you know Coulson specifically wanted to step down, you know, said kind of who we want as a replacement, and then we're given the hint that, and, and we get it in another episode. Uh, I think the this last episode too that Jeffrey Mace is maybe some sort of military hero or something. Um, he they mentioned that he was a hero in some respect that the public knew. Right. Right. And so I guess we can assume that, you know, he was a, you know, a general or or something like that, a military hero, not a superhero. Right. Right. Because it seems like not a lot of people know about, they make a point to sort of say that the, the Congress people who he's touring around the facility. Yes. Because that's like another little, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. (laughs) But they, they seem to not know that he's, an inhuman so correct yeah, yeah so totally, he seems to be some sort of military or police hero or something like that before he took over as the director yeah and i love how he he's almost kind of manipulative in a way but but definitely a, 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 a little bit not in a, in a negative connotation but in a positive connotation mm-hmm. you know where for sure for he sure. wants he wants colson to hang back because he you know he wants him to to basically you know the key is they want to re-legitimize shield and the way they're, you know, they're not only going to have to win over the American people, but they're going to have to win over Congress. And the reason they need to win over Congress is because they need the agency to be funded. So, right, you know, part Which of was another this, little good. Uh, there's another little good joke where he may sort of alludes to the idea that he never didn't know where they got all their unlimited funding from before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, which is something that we've, I think we've all wondered, like. They're so discredited. They sure had a lot of money. Yeah. But it's assumed that Fury was somehow funneling like black ops money into oh, sure. yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of so he plays up to Coulson's, uh, you know, sense of history. And, you know, he, he realizes like he's the newcomer into this agency. Like he he doesn't pretend he knows what his strengths and what his weaknesses are. And his strength is, you know, bringing these people around, putting on the dog and pony show, showing everybody what's going on, taking a selfie, you know, all that crazy kind of stuff. Uh, and then he has, you know, Colson come in to kind of wow them with, you know, the history of shield and, and the SSR and, and what it is and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was, that was cool. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that they kind of, they kind of played that up. Um, and then when, when things are kind of going wrong in the, in the, in the base, you know, when may is kind of wigging out a little bit and they've got that one guy, 
that they they captured from the the ghost episode previously. He's you know smacking his head against the wall, and you know there's you know stuff going on. And uh, I thought that was a cool little funny moment where they want to go show them the containment facility, and um, and then Coulson has to tell them, yeah, that might not be a good idea to do that right now. And the way he plays it off is, well, Agent yeah. Coulson had a better idea. Who wants to see a Quinjet? And it's just yeah. like. I, I just laugh because I'm like, well, of course you would want to go see a Quinjet over <laughs> something, you know, a box right, that, right. You know, that's basically a prison. So, uh, so that was pretty funny. Yeah, it, it was fun to think of like the Congress people as like little, you know, super fans or something, or just geeking out like, ooh, we're in a top secret, you know, government facility. Like, yeah. Yeah, and he you know makes a point of saying you know no no sharing the pictures on Facebook and Instagram and you know all that kind yeah. of stuff. So very timely as well. Yeah, uh, one of the things. So you know the the trick is Coulson has to stay back at the base even though he wants to go on the mission. Mac and Fitz are kind of teamed up again, which I thought was great. Yeah, um, and they go out and they're kind of tracking down what's going on. And uh, one of the things that comes up is the is the book, right? So the the scientists, uh, we get a little more with the scientists and what's going on that they've they've right, been these somehow ghost people, yeah, yeah. These ghost people have been kind of, oh, it almost feels like they've been banished to whatever whatever uh, you know this this other realm or dimension or whatever state they're in, uh, yeah. And and they were let loose, uh, and they're looking for this darkhold book and. Uh, so the, the cool thing is that that Darkhold book has a pretty big tie to the comics. Uh, so the Darkhold is tied into uh, when Marvel when Marvel had like a lot of those Robert E. Howard characters, Conan, Red Sonia, Call. Uh, the Darkhold showed up in those books and, and is tied to a lot of those characters. Uh, Morgan Le Fay, uh, a lot of that kind of Hyborian age, you know, Conan universe, uh, and then as what happened in the seventies, a lot of that stuff kind of bled into the main Marvel comics. Because uh, yeah. that, that Conan run is pretty good, and uh, so it's tied into characters like Werewolf by Night. Uh, it's funny; I recently picked up a bunch of Marvel Epic collections, kind of anticipation uh, for Doctor Strange coming up, and then uh, you know, having recently watched Luke Cage. So I'm reading through the Moon Knight one, uh, and they talk about the Darkhold book in that quite a bit because again, it's tied to uh, Werewolf by Night, who Moon Knight's first appearance was in uh, Werewolf by Night, so. Uh, so it's kind of cool that you know this comes into the show as, at the same time I'm kind of reading some of this old '70s back issue stuff. Uh, so that, so that was kind of a cool way to tie it in. So I'm curious, and obviously they're tying this into I think to Ghost Rider's origin as well. So yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, so I'm kind of kind of curious how this this comes into play. Um, but yeah, they go to this this um, facility. Uh, they're trying to to melt down the reactor. Um, you know, Fitz and Mac try and stop it. Uh, uh, Robbie and Quake kind of show up and uh, save the day. Yeah, and uh, I mean, again, we the show is danced around. We still don't know if we're dealing with science, if we're dealing with magic. I mean, yeah. In this episode, we have a magical book mentioned, but we also have this, you know, like quantum physics facility that they're working in. So, are they ghosts in another dimension, or are they? you know, trapped in like another quantum realm or something, you know, it's kind of, we still don't know where the shows, they, they kind of go back and forth, like, right. Cause they sort of found out a scientific answer for the ghost possession. And, but, you know, regardless of how it works, it's obviously tied into ghost writer's ability because he can somehow like eradicate D 
these people. So, yeah, yeah, he in grabs, a pretty cool sequence. Yeah, he grabs hold of them and they and just is able to basically disintegrate their their ghostly form. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, if if we're talking about magic and demons and stuff, that doesn't seem too crazy. But if we're talking about some sort of science basis, it's it's definitely an interesting twist that his his powers can somehow counteract there so yeah I, i'm still very interested to see where they where they fall with all of this and it's funny because they he keeps saying that he made a deal with the devil like when they yeah. get to the to the root of it you know it happened in this episode with with uh with daisy it happened in episode four with colson and they're yeah. all just like almost laughing like really the the devil like the devil <laughs> right and um, that's that's all we're given i mean yeah. obviously i think next episode or maybe the i think episode five or six i mean we'll we'll find out they're you know they're moving towards an answer to him but uh yeah i mean as far as he says and maybe as far as he thinks yeah you know yeah that's that's what happened exactly exactly um and the show's twisting some of his origin from the comics so Mm -hmm. i i really have no idea where they're going yeah they've kind of fundamentally you know by episode four you know, they they took a pretty big piece of his uh, origin and, and have changed it. So I, I don't even, as someone who's read all of his comics, I don't even know where they're going with this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I like the Fitz and, and Daisy scene, you know, at the end when, they all, when they're all kind of like, once they kind of calm down after being saved, like Fitz lashes out at her for, yeah. for abandoning them and leaving them. Uh, and so again, it's like it's not all just like oh okay, everybody's happy to be back back together again. Uh, they're very conflicted about Daisy and and what she's done and where she's gone and how she's from their perspective how she's treated them. So yeah, and and at first I sort of agreed with them, and then I remembered oh wait, uh, you did the same thing when Gemma disappeared. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he can. You ran totally. off to Morocco with a, like a death wish, basically. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. So it was you know it would have been. I, it would have been good if she maybe like threw that back in his face a little bit, but um, and, and again, like I, I think some people have maybe had a, from what I've heard, some people aren't crazy about the Daisy arc this season, um, with her being so dark. But I was watching the Shield panel from New York Comic Con, and they were talking about like her dark place and Chloe Bennett. It's like, you know, listing off like, you know, this person had to like you know fight you know try and fight their dad that they didn't know existed and then found out about their mom they didn't know existed then had to fight their mom and then their dad killed their mom and they had to erase their dad's memory and then got possessed by you know her nazi ex-boyfriend and then was addicted and then him and her current boyfriend both died you know i mean yeah and not to mention her getting turned into an inhuman this all has happened in like two years for her so you know, I, I can understand that she snapped a little bit. Yeah, that that doesn't really. I don't think to me it doesn't ring untrue. I mean, right? She, me neither. I've just heard. I, I've I've heard some people can complain about her sort of like goth turn. This season. Yeah, I mean, I and I think maybe some of that has to do with just the makeup application, sure, like her physical appearance, which is I think a little the, over the top. But. Yeah, the costume design is a little like. You know, it feels a little too 90s, like, oh, she's dark, so yeah. she's got to look kind of, you know, like, hot topic or something. Yeah, I, I agree that that's a bit eye-roll eye worthy, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't take issue with her place in the season. And, and obviously, when we get to episode four, I think we've kind of 
we've turned the corner on that. Uh, sure. And, and, and so again, you know, we'll get to that in a, in a bit. Which we knew we would, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But again, with the show, they don't drag stuff out that, that kind of has the potential to get eye rolly too often, too far. Like right when it gets to the point where it's like, really, they're going to keep going with this. Then they, they, they resolve it and, and yeah. move on. And so I was, yeah, I was kind of happy when that happened, but, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, I was, uh, the, the interesting thing, I don't know if you caught this cause I had to, I rewind it back and watched it twice, but so at the end of the episode when Colson is, is wondering what happened to May. So May throughout this whole thing, May has been infected and may continues to show signs like the others that have been infected with these ghost, um, these ghost car- characters, um, and she starts acting erratically, paranoid, uh, and it starts to escalate. And um, they finally are able to contain her, and she's really freaking out. And Coulson is really obviously worried about her and wants her treated. Jeffrey realizes she's kind of a threat and needs to be isolated and dealt with uh, and possibly infected. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. So he's, again, he's taking the... Right you know, the responsible director's side of things because he knows that Colson can't be objective about it uh, and doesn't even tell him where she's gone. And um, we see at the end of the episode, she's in, it looks like a helicarrier. She's in this containment unit freaking out. And it looks like it's the members of Congress that were touring the facility on the plane with her. And I'm like, okay, that's what I thought too. Cause that one it's lady, like they loaded her on that same yeah. plane that they got on. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, they made a point of saying that they don't want anything weird happening. And yet they have this lady freaking out. Yeah. On the same plane. I so, did not understand that at all. I was like, I don't and get it. We obviously know from the next episode that that doesn't, there's nothing nefarious going on. Like, in fact, they set it up. Like there's something nefarious. Maybe like Colson's not allowed to see her and You're she right. gets on this plane and we're like, uh oh, and then next episode, it's like no big deal. Like she's with friends. Mace tells Colton where she is. It's yeah, like, it was. It's weird. a total reversal. Yeah, so that was maybe a little bit of like the writers kind of uh, screwing with us a little bit. Yeah, which they don't normally do on this show, but yeah, I'm never a fan of when a, a cliffhanger is set up just to be a cliffhanger and then it has no impact on like a future episodes or something so yeah that i agree i was also um confused by that or thinking it was going somewhere else that it didn't end up going yeah uh and then of course the tag at the end of episode two is daisy and robbie kind of reconciling i think robbie's kind of you know the the other thing we didn't really talk too much about in this episode is that daisy confronts robbie at his place of work yeah, and, yeah, and, and is really just kind of getting in his face about the fact that sh- she wants to work with him to figure out what's going on with all of this, and he yeah, and she knows everything about him. She's yeah. like researched him, and yeah, and um, uh, and she's still treating him, you know, like a serial killer, which I mean, kind of is, kind you of know, is, I mean, yeah. at least and, on the Dexter spectrum of things. So sure, sure, yeah, and you know, there's obviously the tension. You know, obviously we know that she's not going to get killed, but. You know, they're they're playing with that idea that, like, he kind of wants to kill her. Yeah. So they kind of reconcile at the end. Uh, He shows up. She can't, obviously, she can't start the van, so she starts walking. He shows up, tells her to get in. And so they've kind of formed this this alliance uh, at the end of episode two, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, I I think it's great. I I think their scenes are really good together. They're sort of in a similar place, so... And, and, you know, it connects him, even though she's not with S.H.I.E.L.D. right now, it obviously connects him to S.H.I.E.L.D., which, you know, by episode four, we see how it all kind of 
you know, converges. So, yeah, we don't get, and I don't get the hint of like, there's a romantic tension between them, which is kind of refreshing. Uh, not at all. Hey, you can have this female and this male get together and they're not looking to, you know, go hook up somewhere. So exactly. Which is, you know, like how real life works. Yeah. Sometimes it actually works that way. TV that often. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it stays that way. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I, I want to say, I hope it will, I hope it will, and I want to say I think it will because this show is usually pretty good about that. But um, yeah, I guess we'll, you never know. We'll see. That was one of my, you know, jumping over to Luke Cage. That was one of my small issues with that show was uh, he he was yeah. you know, romantically involved with basically every character that showed up, which <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't uh, crazy about. But yeah, we'll see. Sometimes that happens too. <laughs> yep, it, it, it's not. Marvel isn't immune to that. <laughs> All right, so that was episode two. So episode three, Uprising. Uh, so this one we get back. There's a lot more yo-yo in this episode. She's in Miami for a friend's bachelorette party. Uh, the power goes out. Um, at this point, uh, the other thing is Mac knows that Daisy's been siphoning off meds. or Yo-yo's been si- siphoning off meds to her. Yeah. So yeah. he's trying to get a hold of her and keeps calling her and calling her and calling her and she's just ignoring her. Um, and so they're at this party. The The power goes out. Uh, and what claims to be this inhuman resistance puts up, you know, keeps broadcasting out that they're going to keep with these blackouts, um, you know, and, and they have all these demands. And so everybody thinks, of course, it's it's, you know, inhuman terrorists that are doing it. Uh, and. Right. We as a TV audience immediately know that it's a setup. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but, you know, even Jeffrey's like, hey, who could have done this? Like, who could be responsible for this blackout? Who has powers that affect electricity? And they, the only inhuman they have on record that could do it is Lincoln, and they know he's dead. So Fritz right. is like, okay, we don't know of another inhuman that has this power, and we pretty much cataloged all of them or almost all of them at this point. So it's probably an EMP, which at that point they start to think something something shady's going on. Right, which was good. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad yeah. that they didn't belabor the idea that it was the Inhumans because obviously it was, you know, it couldn't be more obvious that it that it wasn't like that. Just just doesn't make any sense at all. Right, right. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was good that they quickly were like, okay, something something else is going on here. And it was like a super EMP because it's it's even affecting devices that are turned off. You know, where you know normally right, EMP right. would only disrupt electronics that are on, not not stuff that's turned off. Right. Uh, you know, so there's, they're, they're kind of, and Fitz can't pinpoint this thing. Like he's trying to figure out like where it's coming from, where the signal is and he, and he just can't do it. Um, the other kind of part to this plot is, so at this point, like we talked about a, a few minutes ago, uh, Je- and maybe the catalyst for this is that, that Chen, the one, uh, the one guy that was a part of that group that was infected, um, with one of those ghost characters, he dies. Right. Uh, and and it was like after 48 hours or something like that from being infected. Uh, and this is the guy that was like beating his head against the wall in the containment facility in the in the previous episode. So he dies. So everybody freaks out because Simmons is is basically saying, yeah, the same thing's going to happen to May if we don't do something. And so. Yeah. So at that point, Mace agrees that uh, Simmons can go get May and see what she can do. And uh, because she kind of has a plan and Colson needs to go. Uh, with Mac uh, off to to Miami and and figure out what's going on with all that, uh, and and so Simmons, her plan is to is to go see Doctor Radcliffe because he's somebody that you know obviously is 
highly advanced in in the field of you know genetics and you know i don't know uh yeah it was sort of like he probably wasn't even the most expert to deal with her but he's the big other scientist guy that they have right right it's in the cast and they haven't used him in two episodes (laughs) right it's like yeah we'll just assume that he's an expert in whatever's going on right um so all this is going on you know daisy and robbie are kind of doing their thing and they're going to go see robbie's uncle who is in uh, the state pen for manslaughter for attempted manslaughter and he worked at momentum so he's tied into and we'll find out a little bit more about him in the next episode, but he's tied into these characters that um, the, these ghostly characters and he's tied up in, in jail. So Robbie is going to go talk to them about what's going on. So while all these blackouts happen, of course a blackout happens in Los Angeles and things get crazy. Uh, they have to go get Robbie's brother um, who obviously, because he's in a wheelchair is going to have transportation issues um, with all these cars being out. Uh, and, and that kind of leads to like Robbie or, um, Daisy and Gabriel kind of have it, you know, uh, Daisy's hurt from using her power so much. Gabriel sees, yeah, it's getting worse. Like you can, and it's kind of, the makeup effects are really, are are pretty well done where you can see that bruise just kind of like climbing up her arm. Yeah. You know, as it gets worse and worse. And so Gabriel sees, uh, her use his, her powers. And so when Robbie goes off to go get her some medicine to try and help alleviate the pain, um, Gabriel and her kind of have a heart to heart and Gabe says, Hey, I saw what you did. I know you're quake. My brother's a good guy. You're not good for him. Uh, if you leave, I won't tell anybody that I know who, you know, I won't basically, I won't turn you in if you just leave. Yeah. And, uh, so Robbie comes back, um, and before, you know, he, before he's able to get up, um, uh, Daisy's gone, so she kind of took her meds and left. And yeah, and Gabriel kind of plays the I don't know why she's gone, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, and obviously plays into Daisy's like feelings about herself anyway. Like right, you know the the rational response is thinking, well, this guy's <laughs> this guy's like ten times worse than me. He's like going around murdering people. <laughs> yeah, but in her mind, it's like yeah, I am bad, and I you know I you know I do ruin everybody's lives that I'm around. Like so. Uh, she seems to have already forgotten that it's like a crazy demonic serial killer. Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, it's not like she's gonna besmirch his name or something. Yeah, corrupt him. Yeah. Uh, so while this is going on, uh, the president is getting a little antsier about this whole blackout thing, and he's ready to more or less declare martial law and send send the army in to to basically go door to door and find these Inhumans in these blackout areas, uh, and and kind of put them up so again it's it's just the way that the watchdogs we, you know we find out it's the watchdogs but they're right. trying to increase tensions between inhumans and humans and yeah you know, basically trying like let me you know if we can't directly get rid of them we'll pit normal people and the inhumans against each other yeah uh to kind of solve the problem that way if we can't solve it directly so well and at the same time though they are solving it directly yes because they kill a number of they i i guess the other thing is that that we didn't really mention is the reason the blackout happens around yo-yo and happens around quake is that they, the watchdogs are somehow targeting cities that shield knows an inhuman is in. Right. Right. Uh, including the fact that, you know, yo-yo is not from Miami and yet she's there. So, so somehow they've, they're like tracking their movement and they're 
killing some of them in these cities during these blackouts. Yeah, and we know we they all have those cool Apple watches, so they, right, they so can be tracked. So. Safe bet that that's uh, they somehow have access to that. So yeah, so yeah, and you know by episodes in, obviously we uh, know at least part of the reason for that. Yeah, you know, so so Coulson and Mac finally get they get to Miami. Uh, you know, there's a whole subplot where the where the watchdog folks show up and they want the Inhuman that's there because they know there's one. They know there's one there. Um, and Yo-Yo tries to hold out as much as she can. And then obviously one of her girlfriends sees that she's, you know, cause Yo-Yo starts like taking the guns away from the, the villains and she moves so fast. They can't see it. One of her girlfriends, uh, f- sees that she has the gun and that she's trying to dispose of and kind of rats her out. So, you know, again, her, her human friends, you know, that have known her for many yeah. years turn against her. So it's, again, it's kind of playing up that whole, you know, this is Marvel's version of mutants, whether you like it or you don't like it. And so, again, it's kind of playing up a lot of those uh, things in the tropes yeah. that we've seen show up in the X-Men comics for, you know, in the movies for years and years now. Yeah, which I, I still contend is like a good, a smart thing to do. I mean, it's it's one of the best things in the history of comics in terms of, uh, you know, exploring uh, the way society views people that are uh, you know, different, whether it's, you know, racism or homophobia or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think bringing that into the MCU, um, and on a, and especially on a TV show like shield, who has to deal with these sorts of things week in and week out. I, I think it's, it's a uh, smart. Yeah, absolutely. I always like, always like that. So obviously, you know, once they're able to take care, you know, a Mac and and Fitz show up, they're able to kind of take out these Inhumans, and the the power outage is getting more severe. So all of these outages are getting more severe. Mace is able to kind of buy Coulson some time, uh, and uh, they're able to. I thought it was kind of cool. Like Fitz finds a way to make uh, like a homemade compass and and, yeah. tri- and triangulate where the. Uh, you know where where the source of this thing is, so they're able to track it down. So I, I'm I'm happy to see Yo Yo back in the fold. I like the interactions yeah. between her and Mac again, where she's a yeah. lot more overt about what their relationship is and is not. Yeah, I like all four. I thought the four of them together were great. Yes, uh, Mac because you know at first it's Colson, Mac, and Fitz, which is a great. I don't know if we've ever seen the three of them just together, but that was a great combo. Um, and then throwing her into the mix, like those. The action scenes were really great. Uh, the two we got, and and Fitz even got a you know kick some butt too. There was which almost, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, there was almost they almost pulled off a one shot with that whole attack. Right. Um, but there was a cut. There was a couple cuts. But in the beginning, it was a pretty pretty long like single shot that they moved yeah. around and did. And I thought that was pretty pretty well done. I wish I wish they could have found a way to play it off and do it all as one continuous one shot. I think that would have been pretty impressive, but. Um, but, but yeah, it was some pretty, really good camera work on that, on that attack. Yeah. And then the fight later during the, when they're at the EMP facility and the lights, you know, kind of go in and out every like two seconds. That was really cool. Also the EMP. Yeah. That was really neat. And, and I think I don't, I want to almost say we haven't seen yo-yo in slow-mo before. No, no. Like we see it from everybody else's perspective. Um, yes. I think this was the first time that we saw it from her sort of speed as she 
disarmed all the guards in that final fight, which was cool. And 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 the scene earlier where she has like the light stick, that was she, awesome. Yeah, all you can see is like that, like you know, it's like a light painting almost, but no yes. one's there. Yeah, yes. I, I, th- those are the things that I think when they get really inventive like that with the ways of showing the powers, I. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was really impressed with that. The other thing that was cool and subtle, I don't know if you picked up on this, but they talked about how Yo-Yo never wears a dress. Yeah. And and again... Or given, like heels and stuff. Right. And given her powers, it would make sense why she would never wear like exactly. a skirt or a dress. She would always wear pants. Because um, obviously, if you're going around that fast, you know, things are going to kind of fly around. <laughs> like, you don't want them to fly around. Um, so yeah, well, and you don't want things, I guess, to be as restricting. And obviously, you right. don't want the you know, shoes that are going to be hard running, even though she wears like boots, I think. So yeah, you would think if you were running, you would wear, I've always wondered that about speedsters though. Like would they need to wear like hyper focused, like running gear or they're so fast that it's not like it would matter even if they're wearing like boots or heels or whatever, because they could still move in those quicker than anybody else. I don't know. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I, I always wonder that like the, the minutia of superpowers, <laughs> right? Like, would it be better to wear athletic shoes or is it fine to wear boots? Cause like I wouldn't go running in boots, but I can move. I could run in boots. Yeah. But you and can't run it 800 miles an hour. <laughs> no, but if I could, then would it even matter what you, you know, yeah, it's exactly. not like I need to wear like running shoes to make me a little faster. I mean, yeah. I'm already going to be, yeah, but yeah, I thought that was good. That was a good point. And, and yeah, I, I love uh, Natalia Cordova Buckley. Uh, I think she's great and, and has great chemistry with everybody. And I, I'm glad they brought her. I, I don't know that she's a regular. Yeah, I don't think I don't think she is, but I think she should. Hopefully, it'll be like Mockingbird, where they maybe like mid season they they make her a regular because basically her and Daisy seem like the only Inhumans left at this point. <laughs> they seem to be purposely like killing off all the people that the fish oil pills like created yeah which i think is maybe sort of like a uh to address you know the fact that it wouldn't make sense to have tons of powered people running around that the movies never address so it's like they almost like blew it up and now they're kind of like slowly like scaling it back down or something yeah uh, so, you know, obviously they get, they, they find out that that's what's going on, that it's the watchdogs, uh, you know, they're able to stop the EMP. Um, and while all this is going on, we've got the May crisis where, uh, Simmons gets May to a uh, Radcliffe's place. Um, they, you know, they spend the whole episode trying to figure out like what's going on. Uh, they map out her brain and they figure out that sh- they're, all these people are basically being scared to death. And, um, right. So, uh, Radcliffe's uh, eventual response is just like, we'll kill her and then we'll bring her back to life. And, uh, <laughs> which sure that makes sense. Um, and of course, just as <clears throat> they kill her and need to bring her back to life, the power goes out. Uh, right. So, Rad- yeah, of course. So Radcliffe <laughs> is able to, you know, go get Ada's power supply, uses that to, to jolt, um, May's heart back to life. And she, she comes back to life, which I thought, I thought that sequence at the end was pretty cool of maybe being all confused and wonder what's going on. Yeah. Um, the the last little bit that we get is this Senator Rhoda Nader, who's um, <clears throat> played by, if you, if you guys have watched, uh, she was on ER for a long time, Parminder Nagra. Um, she was one of the doctors. <clears throat> excuse me. She was one of the doctors on ER. Um, and she's the senator that's come out and basically said 
she's very anti shield, you know, she's tying them to Hydra. So she's kind of like one of these demagogue kind of senators. Uh, and it ties out, it turns out she's tied into, uh, the watchdogs as well. And, uh, there's a real creepy moment at the end where she's at her brother's place. And then she says goodbye. Um, cause she, she's like piled up the mail and she's like coming and doing all this stuff. And it turns out he's in a cocoon. And I guess she's there waiting for him to come out of the cocoon. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. Like, is she somehow stopped him from hatching? Because yeah. he should have hatched like a year ago, right? I would think because there were yeah, and they made a point of showing like all the mail that's piled up and the fact that like his house has basically been stagnant. So there's something going on there. Yeah, that, that they haven't really explained. Right. So yeah, I'm wondering if it, she's waiting. It somehow delayed, or he, um. Yeah, she somehow found a way to, like, stop him from hatching or something. But, yeah, either way, it's clear that she doesn't like Inhumans uh, and is probably the one feeding the watchdogs, like, this this intel on where they are and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so so that's pretty much episode three. Uh, and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s official now, right? Yes, yes. May, yeah, that, good, yeah, good <laughs> I point. Mean, they're um, back. Yeah. So uh, he Mace talks to Colson and Colson's like, look, you need to do what you feel is best and not what everybody's telling you to do. You're the director. You're in charge. You know, don't you know, if you think waiting to, to formally come out as shield as an agency, then do it. If not. And so it kind of ends with Mace going on TV, standing behind the new. I thought the new shield logo was interesting because it kind of invokes where it's more. It it has that typical like Department of Homeland Security, yeah, Department it looks of like Justice. The other, yeah, yeah, it looks, it looks like, like the other the alphabet other... agency uh, emblems, you know, with yeah. the shield thing in the middle. So I thought that was kind of cool that they're, uh, you know, it, making it feel like it's more integrated in with the government as opposed to before yeah. where it was this completely separate thing. Um, and so he basically comes out and, and that again, that prompts the senator who's watching it at home while this is going on. But but Jeffrey comes out and just says, look, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s back. We're here. We're, you know, you don't need to be concerned. Uh, you know, we, we understand, you know, we understand, you know, it's history. But, you know, there's some great things that were done. And, you know, we plan on doing more of the same. So I thought that was kind of a cool that it's. it's Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I get, you know, we won't harp on this forever because we do it all the time. But, you know, we saw S.H.I.E.L.D. fall in a movie. And as far as the movies have ever treated it, you know, it's still like a defunct organization. And now we see it come back in a show. So I, I do wonder how they'll eventually address that in a movie, whether they'll whether S.H.I.E.L.D. will come back, whether they'll say, you know, like it seems like they have to allude to the fact that the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the president have revived this organization. And yet that's only ever happened on the TV show. Yeah. So it is sort of interesting. I don't know. I wonder if they'll ever, I wonder how they'll deal with it in the movie. If shield ever comes back in some way. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see that. I I guess the one thing is because of the Sokovia accords, it almost seems like the Avengers are a separate group. Whereas before the Avengers were kind of formed under shield and now they're, they're completely separate. So it, it, I guess right. it does but I wonder have if that. Shield will show up in the movies, or if this is their way of saying Shield's so low level now, they're just sort of a government oh, organization yeah. that we won't even need to see them in the movie. You know, because in in the comics, they're a they're they are still the big group. Like they show right. up for these huge threats. So I'm wondering if the movies, they're just like the FBI, the CIA, or whatever, who you never see sh- 
you know, for the most part, show up in a, a Marvel movie anyway. So it won't it won't be something that maybe they maybe we just won't see shield anymore or something. I, I just I'm really curious how it will play out because that seems like a big um, plot point in the MCU. Yeah, I, th- I, I wonder if some of it is going to depend on how prominent the Avengers as we've come to know them over um, uh, over over the past few you know several movies evolve like if some of these main players like the Robert Downey Jr's the Chris Evans those characters kind of phase out and they bring some of these up and coming characters in that maybe it's not it won't be such a big deal to to kind of tie shield into it but i think as long as like the heavy hitters are coming in i don't know that you know they're going to make a big deal about about trying to to take care of it but no i don't think they will i'm just to me, it almost speaks to the idea that we probably won't see Shield show up in the movies because oh, yeah. Yeah. how would they would have to address it somehow? Like the yeah. movie audience knows that it's defunct, even though you know they showed up with a big helicarrier and saved Sokovia. No one's ever really sort of like mentioned that, but yeah, the only thing I could think of is like if they bring Clark Gregg back to a movie and he shows up from Shield and everybody looks confused and he just says something like, "Yeah, we brought it back," or. Right, yeah, and you know, just, which would be and just, funny because he's like low level again. Yeah, it, yeah, it would be funny if like his return to the movies was almost like mirrored his first appearance. <laughs> yeah, hi, I'm and, Phil Golzer with the strategic. Right, and he event. says that, and yeah. everybody's like, uh, I don't know, like a tag or I don't know. That would be. Yeah, I I feel like they won't do that, but that would be amazing. Yeah, it'd be really funny. <laughs> uh, all right, so episode four. Uh, let me stand next to your fire. Uh, we'll kind of cover this one briefly because they, they, they've kind of these, all of these disparate parts are kind of consolidating down. Yeah. Um, I, I love sure. the cold open. Uh, they, they put this online ahead of time uh, where it's Simmons apartment hunting. Cause her and Fitz are going to move in together and looking for a place. And it, it turns out that it was just Daisy that hacked together a profile that would be perfect. And Simmons couldn't, uh, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't yeah. pass it up. Uh, to get her out. Uh, and it was cool. It was kind of cool seeing Simmons show up. She shows up. The doors open. And then she sees that the hinges are broke. And she pulls her gun. You know, like she's... Yeah. She's an agent. They did. I was glad they did that. Yeah. 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 She's she's a full-blown agent. Uh, yeah. And so her and Daisy kind of reconciled. Daisy's been shot on her way to, to kind of, you know, get to, get to, to Simmons. So... Um, they kind of go back and forth and kind of have a plan. So basically what what Daisy tells Simmons is, look, you're being hacked. Like the watchdogs are hacking your information. They're finding out where these inhumans are because they're systematically killing them. And because of Sokovia and because of the registration and the way this is all done and because S.H.I.E.L.D. thinks their servers are so secure that nobody would be able to find them, yet they are finding them and they're systematically being taken out. So Daisy obviously – you know, again, they're taking a little bit back to her roots as the hacker. Uh, right. So she's like, "Look, I did it; they can do it." Um, and I think that you know, they're, th- this is how they're doing it—that they're using, uh, you know, the you know, the tracking devices to to figure out where they're at. And uh, you know, she—they're able to kind of pinpoint it down. And you know, one of the profiles that's been accessed recently that they think might be in danger is James, aka Hellfire. Uh, right. and, and so they need to track him down. Uh, meanwhile. Uh, you know, again, Daisy's been shot. So Simmons kind of patches her up and it was a really funny scene where 
well, there's two funny scenes. One is where she's like, look, I go through lie detector tests. How, how am I going to get past this? Like, I can't, you know, I can't do this. And so Daisy pulls her gun on her and says, well, maybe you didn't have a choice. So, yeah, again, almost trying to make it seem like, well, technically you won't be lying if you said you did it because I pulled a gun on you because I'm, right, right. I'm pulling a gun on you right now. Wink, wink. Um but when they go up to the shield facility to try and plant this bug so Daisy could get all that information I just mentioned, it was hilarious where she's yes. concocted this whole crazy – this is a very Whedon thing, right? Like right. concocted this crazy plan and you know going to go about it this way. And M- Simmons literally gets out of the van, sees the lady, walks up to her, smiles at her, hands her this thing. You know, and then just kind of walks back to the van, and she's like, "Yeah, she works for me. I'm in charge. I'm yeah, she's you know, like, the, I'm the boss. Yeah, I'm the boss. I love that line reading. Just like, I'm the boss. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, I love you, Simmons. Yeah, and Daisy's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, so good. So that was that was great. Like, I loved all that opening stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh. So May is kind of recovering. Uh, Daisy meets back up with with uh, Fitz, and. It was kind of funny too because uh, they're keeping May there because they want to, you know, for two reasons. One, they want to make sure May is okay, and two, they think Ada's ready to kind of come out, like that that Ada right. is ready to be brought to the world and shown that she can pass the Turing test and and that she can, you know, be perceived as human. Uh, and I love it when Simmons finally shows up and and goes to Fitz and and Simmons is like, you know. It kind of busts fits, right? Like, yeah, it's obvious she's an android, but she's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I, you know, I won't harp on this a lot, even though I did. I, I basically spent my past two episode reviews talking about this subplot because it just felt like a waste of time to me. Like, it felt like a waste of May's time. It's like they had no, they had no idea what else to do with her character. So it's like she gets possessed, she goes crazy. Then she's pretty much, you know, passed out the entire next episode. And then this final episode, she's just like sitting around. Um, and the whole thing kept leading towards this like, oh, everyone's going to find out about Ada. And like, maybe she'll save May's life. Then that didn't really happen. Then it was like, well, now she'll be May's nurse. And that'll like pass it. And Fitz yeah. can't tell Simmons. And then at the end, it was just like everybody knows and everybody's fine. And I was like, what was what's been the point of the past like three episodes of this plot? Yeah, I, I don't know if you felt that way, but it just felt like no. May and Radcliffe and Ada and the whole thing just was just went in a circle and just it just didn't go anywhere. I guess I don't know what the end game is with with what they're trying to do because they're spending an awful lot of time on it, and if it doesn't have some kind of payoff or twist or something going on, I, I you know for them to spend all this time just to show that oh yeah look we have LMDs for real just like in the comics it just seems like they're dedicating way too much time if that's where they want to end up me too um, yeah that's what I, I agree it just yeah. it wasn't like riveting and and again as someone who loves May and was really disappointed you know last season really did nothing with her and the first episode of this season I was like okay she's got a new role she's training these people this will sort of be like her new plot and then they've literally spent three episodes with her just like, I mean, this one she had the most to do and it was just sitting around. The one before that, she's crazy. And then the other one, she's, you know, just passed out or dead the whole time. So, yeah, yeah, I, I was just bummed, bummed by that. And I mean, obviously it's over and hopefully they can move on and have good May stuff. But it it just felt like we didn't gain anything from it from a story perspective to to have that whole arc other than it looks like Simmons is going to have to do a lot of lying 
uh, right. internet lie detector thing. Which, right. Which happens but, to be tomorrow. It, right, right. Um, yeah, so we'll see how that... I think so, that Yeah, we'll see how it plays out, but it, yeah. that was one of the things that kind of bugged me over the past few episodes, was that yeah. little plot, but... So the the two other big pieces with this episode are one I thought it was a cool again a cool bait and switch where you think Robbie's going to show up at the prison to go see his uncle and it's Coulson that's sitting there and so yeah. they have a really cool exchange you know the whole shield thing we find out that Robbie's uncle uh, has a PhD he's super smart um, and he got into this altercation uh, and and if he's not responsible for he's at least somehow tied to what happened to these ghost characters. Right. So yeah, so Colson and uh and Uncle Eli kind of have their little back and forth and uh Eli doesn't tell him anything and it's hilarious cuz so he leaves the the prison and him and Mac are standing there and just as they're standing there who comes rolling up but Robbie Reyes in his uh charger. Matchstick guy. Yeah. Uh as Matt calls him. Yeah, Matchstick guy, yeah. Uh and so then they they start ch- chasing each other. So and then they of course. of course they have a cool back and forth of you know Mac wants to drive and <laughs> Colton's <laughs> like no you're not driving Lola. So I love a good car chase. Uh, yeah, and him. Compl- I loved Colson like trying to justify him losing by like how much do you weigh, Mac? Like, y- like yeah, ex- Max extra weight is like hol- holding them back. Yeah, because Mac keeps saying you're never going to catch him. There's you know it's got you know that car has got this much torque and blah 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 yeah. horsepower and everything else. And Colson's like yeah well you know. We've got a surprise, and then boom, you know, the the, uh, the charger hits uh, the, the Quinjet that's cloaked in the... Uh, yeah, like in the aqueducts that are yeah, racing yeah. through. Yeah. It felt very almost like Terminator 2, like... <laughs> like Yeah. That it's like they filmed Terminator 2 here, and they probably filmed yeah. Grease here as well. Like, it just felt like that same... Like, oh, I'm sure it's there's just one set of aqueducts that they film, like, everything. Yeah. Every time you need that, yeah. that scene. So it's funny. So they're able to kind of get... They get Robbie, they put him in the containment unit, um, and and it was kind of cool, because they, they have a little bit of back and forth, and they talk about the deal with the devil, uh, and Coulson ends up reaching out to him and just says like, Hey, can we like form an alliance here? You know, you, you know, we'll help you, but you need to go talk to your uncle and, you know, there's a little bit of trust there. So we get kind of like the, you know, typical Colson. Um, so Robbie goes and talks to his uncle to try and get more information. And that's when they talk about the book and needing the book. Um, and, and what's going on with that. So, um, yeah. And, um, and again, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I guess, spoil the comics for anyone who hasn't read them. But, you know, if you have read them, just the the very fact that Eli is on this show and the way he's portrayed is uh, a complete deviation from the comics. And uh, and this is what I meant by saying, like, obviously, Ghost Rider's origin has changed now in this because. Um, yeah, this is the episode that shows us like, OK, well. The way he is in the comics is very different now from this, and they they've changed a lot of stuff. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see where that goes because I normally don't mind variations from comics, but I do feel like this is kind of a key element to Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider story that they've changed. So I'm I'm very you know sort of curious as to where they're going next. And how they're going to explain his abilities and his origin and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very curious as well to see what how they walk that line, or if they, you know, if if this is the turn where 
the MCU just goes full blown, uh, you know, mystical or uh, right, right, where, where there's no connection to science at all. And I think Doctor Strange is going to answer some of those questions too. So this will this will be I, we're in an interesting time with the MCU. I think in general, both in TV and movie, we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of fitting, and I mean, I'm sure this was done, you know, to some degree on purpose. But yeah, within the next few weeks i mean because presumably this coming week i think it might be the one where we get the answer about robbie so i mean two weeks from now we'll have the answer to how the mcu is going to treat magic in two right with two very different examples so uh yeah it'll you know probably the next time we record we may have a completely different uh, perspective to talk about things with so it's it's pretty interesting how how quickly this might all shift yeah and then, you know, if obviously if early next year, we'll, you know, Iron Fist will give us yet another uh, example. So, yeah. Uh, so the, the other big piece of this is uh, Daisy and Simmons go on their quest to go check on James and see how he's doing, which turns out he's working in a fireworks factory. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is hilarious. And he kind of equates it to somebody that's basically like, look, my powers are fire based. This is what keeps me in check is I know, you know, I'm in this place. So he's kind of right. just hanging out, doing his thing. Uh, they're able to convince him to, uh, uh, to come to their side. And so he's like, okay, after work, come meet me at my storage locker. I got something to show you that, you know, we can, we can work with. And of course it's all a trap. And, uh, yeah. You know, they open up the lockers, watchdogs run out, and it turns out James is uh, a self-hating inhuman. Yeah, so, yeah, he basically thinks that, you know, hey, we all should die, and, uh, you know, you know, eventually I'm going to die anyway, but in the meantime, I'm going to take the rest of them with me. So he's he's really on this this crusade and believes in, in their cause. Yeah, it was an interesting twist that I did not see coming. Um yeah. And, you know, Daisy brings up a great point. Like, hey, you wanted you were obsessed with being an inhuman. Like we didn't force this on you, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then it's I, I, I sort of I sort of got it because, I mean, at first he loved it, but he was immediately infected by hot. Like he he was never not controlled by him. So right. now we're seeing him be himself and dealing with being an inhuman and also dealing with the fallout of being an addict with hives. So. It, that sort of made me buy it like, yeah, I, I could see how maybe that would uh, sort of twist your view. And, and the James we saw as an inhuman wasn't really him, you know. So this is sort of like our first look at like how he's dealing with everything. So and just like Daisy, it's, you know, it's, you know, there's some definitely some negative, you know, negativity to it. And and she might even represent maybe like a darker version of herself, like maybe maybe that's like a little bit of a sobering wake up call by episodes in for her seeing how, you know, here's another person post hive and how they've acted. And, you know, do I really want to be like that? So and yeah. that might be subtext I'm reading into, but. Yep. So of course, Robbie shows up to kind of save the day, um, with Colson and fit and, um, uh, Mac and, uh, it was kind of cool to see the James and Robbie interaction. You know, Robbie ends up picking up the chains. Yeah, which I, I, I predicted that, that would happen. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of cool. Very excited about that. Yeah, and he's sort of like, huh? There's this look on his face, like, I think this is a match made in heaven. Yeah, 
And then, of course, you know, they're right above a fireworks factory. They fall down to the bottom. Everybody runs <laughs> out. And I love that Coulson's like, well, you had to see that coming. Like, yeah. The whole Max, like, did the two fire dudes just fall into the fireworks warehouse? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, you had to see that coming. Uh, yep. So Robbie comes out holding James, who's unconscious and a little worse for the wear. Um, and they, they bundle them all up. But still so, alive. So but Yeah, he's definitely still alive. One of our few living inhumans at this point yeah. that we know about. So. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, again, at the end of the episode, it's it's almost like, you know, the the band is kind of back together. You know, Coulson yeah. is ready to mostly make Daisy whole again and, and, and bring Robbie into the fold so they can kind of get to the bottom of what it is. Because at this point they have a bigger problem, you know, with, with the watchdogs. So they're, they're really starting to cause uh, yeah. a lot of, a lot of issues. I like the fact that they're kind of moving away from the inhuman story, but inhumans are still in the forefront. It's kind of weird. Yes. Like, yes. like the characters are not in the forefront, but this group against them is, um, yeah. and, it, and it allows them to just kind of get away from, you know, this inhuman hunting and inhuman like cataloging and all this other stuff that we've kind of been preoccupied with for the last couple of seasons. Uh, and, and so now we've kind of moved, moved away from that, especially last season. So it, it yeah, yeah. But, but they're again, still around. Yeah, but it doesn't ignore it. So it's kind of a weird dichotomy yeah. where, where I think the story, the, the show is allowed to breathe a bit by, I, yeah, by I doing this. So. I think it's good. It lets them move on, but it's, it would have been silly if they just ignore all of them. So having right. Yo-Yo and James and the watchdogs, it reminds you like this still exists. It's still something they're dealing with. It's just you know, not like the number one priority anymore. Right, right. And we don't really know what is. I mean, we know there's a shady senator and we've got this terrorist group, but, you know, shows like these, there's obviously going to be some sort of like big bad or evil presence. And I find it unlikely that it's going to be like, a, you know, a corrupt senator and a, you know, a bunch of white supremacists. Like, so there's, yeah, I think there's still going to be some stuff lurking coming up that you know probably having to do with you know those ghosts or or and even them like i don't think they're going to be the big bads either you know what i mean like yeah i feel like yeah. we've seen a lot of lackeys so far um so i'm curious what the sort of big bigger threat is going to end up becoming for this season yeah agreed oh, cool well that's agents of shield so luke cage it's finally here it's finally gone did you so let me ask you sure. did, how how long did it take you to binge watch the whole thing um it, it a little longer than expected i had um some like job stuff that i didn't plan right like i didn't realize that i i planned some shifts on those days uh so i didn't get to watch as quickly as i thought and then the hurricane hit and we had to evacuate so oh, yeah, yeah. It, it took me i think maybe about a week Whereas I thought it would take, you know, like three or four days. So, but I, I still got it done all within the first week, I think, that it was out. Yeah, we we were on vacation. Uh, we talked a little bit th about this in episode one or two. John and I did. I just kind of got his brief thoughts uh, on it. So uh, we didn't get into any kind of detail. Uh, I was on vacation on Friday. We didn't get back till late Saturday. Uh, I was I actually watched... The first episode on my tablet while I was gone, and then I came back and watched some more. So I caught up uh, like within a week, like, kind of like you. Like within the first week, yeah. I watched it all. Um, I, 
what are your overall impressions? I guess we'll just talk overall impressions and then we'll dive yeah, in. Yeah, I guess, a uh, I mean, should we get it out of the way? Are we doing this, um, like Daredevil season two style where we, we're just talking about the first few, but we're open to spoilers or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody listening, yeah. I mean, okay. we're going to yeah, specifically we talk about episodes. Yeah, we're going to specifically talk about episodes one and two, but if something happens that leads to something that happens later on, right. we're not going <clears> to <throat> intentionally shy away from it. So there are going to be spoilers for the whole thing. So if you haven't seen the whole series, you might want to you know pa- you know put these episodes uh, until you until you finish them up um, because it's hard not to yeah. knowing what happens. It's hard not to talk about something knowing what the outcome is. And gonna the be. way these binging shows work, like sometimes they bleed a little into each other. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's just. It really is difficult to sort of, like, remember what you're not allowed to talk about. So, yeah, I feel like at this point, probably most of our listeners have uh, seen the whole thing. And if not, yeah, definitely hold off on these episodes because I'm sure we'll get into it or get on a tangent or something and drop some big bomb or something like that. So, oh, okay. So the question was my thoughts on the the series. Yeah, just kind of overall, what did you Um, what did you think of it? I think my sort of uh, like boilerplate response, I would say, um, is I think it's an amazing show. Um, I think that as a as a television show, I think I like it and Jessica Jones more than I like Daredevil, and I love Daredevil. But I think as a season of television there there are some really strong points and i think there's some weak points i think it's like a as like a season and like a story that it's telling i think towards the end things get a little uh and we'll get into that later but there there's just some things that i'm not crazy about and i I think the show kind of shifts tones a bit but um for what they're trying to do for the actors the performance um the the show that everyone put together I think it's it's definitely something unique and amazing. I mean, the the issues they get into, I was just blown away every episode that, you know, this was like a Disney Marvel superhero comic book show that was really getting into ideas of, like, the black experience in America and Black Lives Matter and police brutality and, I mean, just so many things and such a, you know, a cast that's almost all POCs. It, it was just... um that was really, really awesome. And I think just like Jessica Jones handled issues of, of, you know, abuse with women, I think this did a really amazing job of showing the black experience and, you know, the black female as well as male experience, with it, which I think is another rare thing to see so many female POC characters on a, on a TV show, especially like this. So, yeah, I, I think in the individual ones, I'll get into maybe some of the stuff I wasn't crazy about. But, oh, you know, overall and yeah. what they were trying to do and in terms of this show as it moves forward, I, you know, I I really liked those elements and, and I loved all the performances, uh, you know, with a few exceptions. But, you know, we can get into that. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I I think from all the series so far, I think the, the cast – for this show is the strongest. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I think, and the uh, I, the biggest. I think to be fair, I, I, I feel like there were the mo- like more sort of uh, characters that we delved into than some of the other ones. But yeah, it seemed yeah, more of an ensemble show. Yeah, I think the biggest issue that I had with the show was more in the story. 
and and like you were saying, kind of like where it went and where it ended up, yeah. rather than you know the performances. Where I think the other shows were maybe a little stronger with that. And I think, but I think just from a from a style perspective, from an edgy perspective, I I'm I was really kind of like you. I was really kind of blown away yeah. because I think at the back of our minds, this is still a Marvel Disney property, and I think sometimes the Disney part of that. Um, comes forward a lot more like i think people just there's i think a lot of assumptions especially on the movie side where they're only going to go so far because a you want the widest possible audience you can get and b it still is a disney property um and so for them to uh, use the language they use in this show to show the violence they show in the show um (laughs) to really i mean in that first episode show the nudity that they showed in the show oh right yeah um I was uh, I I was like wow okay this is this is I mean none of it bothered me at all I mean, no I just, no but I I, I kind of give them you think, a bit of a kudos. when you think of that Disney you know the Disney overlords up there it is kind of it, I mean it's good it, you know when Disney bought Marvel the whole worry was uh oh you know now they're going to Disneyfy everything and it's going to be really right. watered down and and I mean clearly that's proven not to be the case especially with these Netflix shows which. Aside from, I mean, honestly, the only thing that to me is noticeably awkward is that um, they'll do they'll do everything but say the f word, you know, right, like. Right. And I, to be honest, it's only notice it's not noticeable that they don't say it, but I think there was like one or two songs where they edit it out. And other than that, yeah. there's no other sense of you know censorship or like oh they couldn't show right. this you know i mean it, i never at any point was like oh they shied away from showing something like it felt like they everything they wanted to do it seemed like they could do so yeah so the first uh, so we'll just talk about the first two episodes uh, moment of truth code of the streets those are the first two now i cannot claim to be any type of hip-hop aficionado or hip-hop, uh, like, really super fan or anything like that. So uh, all of the episodes of this season are uh, titles to Gangstar songs, which I have no uh, no background with. So I won't even pretend uh, to, f- to think that I know <laughs> that, that I know. Uh, I, I mean, if I heard if I hear one of their songs, I probably would know it just from from knowing music. But uh, but like I said, I'm not going to pretend to to know something that I. Don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I only I. I, I love the idea, but, and I mean, I, while I won't say that I'm a, you know, uh, hip hop historian or something like that. I mean, I definitely listen to a lot of, a lot of rap music, but, uh, Gangstar just happened to be one of those artists that I only know a couple of songs by and none of them were the ones that they were titled after. So I really like the idea, but I, I did feel like I wished it was a different group I knew. So maybe I could get something more out of it, but I think um, the showrunner, um, Chio, said that um, the, the lyrical content of the songs wasn't necessarily related to the, to the episodes. Though I did find that the titles definitely were. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chio Hadari Coker, right? Yeah, yes. okay. I always, mm-hmm. I always yeah. forget his uh, middle name. He's one of those rare three name, three name people, creators. Um, so yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, I can't bring any other extra insight other than just, you know, the, the episode titles and the song titles seem to definitely be purposeful. But, but I mean, I like the, yeah. mu- the music throughout and the way that they used uh, music in the show I thought was, was really awesome. Yeah, so I, one of the, the just because of the the schedule that we're recording under, one of the things Daryl Taylor really wanted to be on uh, these episodes, and oh, yeah. one of the things I told him told him was, you know, we're going to do these two at a time, so we're going to have plenty of of space. So you know, when we kind of get a concrete schedule together, um, I'm going to have him on for you know, I mean, he's always welcome to to be on anytime yeah. he wants, but. I'm definitely going to try, you know, try and get him on to talk about this because, as you know, as a as a black man living in in New York, um, I think his perspective. I'm really, really, sure. uh, you know, curious as to what his perspective is on a lot of this, a lot of the things that you know they bring up on the show. Um, you know, just knowing the area and being more familiar with it than me living, you know, in in Texas for the past thirty some right. odd years and. Um, you know, neither neither one of us living in in New York. Even you know, John last week when he was talking about it, he's like, you know, look, I've lived in you know Long Island most of my life. Um, you know, I, I you, while he uh, you know he's more, he's more familiar with the area and 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 the you know and the sites and everything else, not just for this show, but for Jessica Jones and and Daredevil too. Um, but you know, he just so he he was more familiar with it than me. So I'll be really I, I think it'd be really good to to get on and talk to Daryl about about the show because I a I know he really wants to talk about it, um, and b I just, like I said I'm just really curious uh, to get his thoughts on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, for so. sure. I mean, I yeah I lived in New York for a little bit, but you know I obviously it's um, and I actually did live in Harlem for like a short period of time, but I mean. You know, I have such a fraction of a of an experience with you know anything close to the ideas in the show. So, um, you know, while I find them you know super fascinating for whatever they're worth and for like the world that you know we live in, um, yeah, I, I definitely find it much more interesting to hear from people who are more closely connected to these experiences and how because you know it's something we rarely get the chance to talk about and it's something that's yeah. you know luckily changing now. But so that makes it kind of even more fascinating to you know to hear from from people who these experiences mirror and and you know what it's like and because uh, you know we're so used to these stories sort of representing you know a little closer to us so yeah and that's interesting because i think this series kind of brings the reality of you know granted granted highly exaggerated but they did bring sure. things in that are newsworthy lately that are you know that are things to talk about it more so than any other show um certainly any other superhero show but almost any other show on television i mean a lot you know i mean they weren't very overt in in some of the things they were saying but there was a lot of subtlety and there was a lot of uh yeah you know a lot of reference uh you know to things that are going on so I, i i give them a lot of credit for for yeah it's you know taking that step i, I think it's a bold move and i think you know marvel netflix i won't say netflix because they you know they've got a lot of stuff like that um they just put out that ava duvernay documentary um 13th yeah which i'm yeah. very excited to watch um i mean you know excited in a certain sense also you know will be sad to watch it but but you know um i think with marvel and disney you would think they might you know shy away from something that you know i mean for some people for some reason black lives matter is very controversial and the the whole police brutality thing and i mean if nothing else it's a very current thing that a lot of people have very strong emotions about so it'd be very easy for these 
big companies to just be like, well, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna yeah. be neutral. We're not gonna touch it. But the fact they get into it and the fact that they, you know, again, not overtly, but they're certainly telling the perspective, uh, you know, the story from the perspective of, you know, black Americans in Harlem, in the city, uh, you know, dealing with police, dealing with gentrification, um, you know, all sorts of these these issues. Um, and, you know, they get into it a lot more than than I feel like they had to to be able to deliver a, you know a, a decent comic book show but i applaud them for just like getting yeah. into it and it and it's funny because you'll see the differing perspectives even amongst the characters yeah. right i mean Cottonmouth's vision and what he really cares about as far as harlem and his his world goes is very much different than mariah i yeah. mean mariah is looking to, I mean, there's that whole thing with Cottonmouth where he's like, yeah, I don't want to hear about all that. Keep Harlem black nonsense like that. To him, he doesn't he doesn't really care about that. Only he, he cares about his club. He cares about making money yeah. and he cares about growing his power. Yeah. And that's all he cares about. And whether it's building alliances with Hispanics or, you know, whites or blacks or whatever, I get the feeling like he just doesn't care. Like he's just about money and power. For sure. Whereas whereas Mariah's character in the beginning, and I, I think even through the end, I mean, she's a she's a uh, you know city council person. She's really invested in like this is Harlem. This is there's culture here. There oh, is yeah. there's there there are things here that matter to um, to to black people, and you know we're seeing it being gentrified. We're seeing it being kind of taken away and and you know absorbed. And her her push is really to use the money and the power. Um, to, to make sure Harlem stays the way that she feels like it is. And so I really thought that was a very interesting dynamic between those two. Yeah. And I, I tell you what, I mean, again, not to, not to spoil ahead, but, but we, we do one of, I totally get why they did it, but killing off Cornell, kill, killing off Cottonmouth was really made me sad because me too. I, I, th- I think uh, I'm going to probably butcher his name, but Marshala Ali who I love. I mean, I, I remember him back, like when he was on Crossing Jordan, like like fifteen years ago, uh, on that on that NBC show. And then of of course he went on to you know he, he very famous role as uh, Remy Danton in uh, House of Cards. And uh, I mean he's been on he's been on a bunch of stuff, but just his his charisma and his uh, his presence in this show, I just man, I I so loved his character. And when he would interact, like. Him and Mariah would go at it. I just thought that was like those moments were just gold. Yeah, um, I. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I was bummed about that because I think, you know, as much as I even loved Kilgrave, I, and I don't know if I can totally say this, but he to me he felt like the best of the Netflix villains almost. I mean, he, he was my personal oh, favorite sure. in terms of performer Absolutely. on this series, like man he did such an amazing job and and yeah so when they you know killed him and we'll get to that but uh you know i i i know what they're doing with the story but there was a part of me that was just like man i would have loved to have seen him grow as like a menace you know in this world and yeah he was just such a fascinating character and and just such an incredible incredible like performance i mean he he really owned that role yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and you know, yeah, so that was a, that was a bummer, but you know, I agree with you on the, 
their two sides. I, I don't know if it's episode two or three, but he says the line, you worry about the black, I'll worry about the green. And yeah, I really like yeah, that because, you know, they have yeah, this too. exchange where he does kind of admit that at some point he did remember the idea of doing all this for a reason, for like a greater good, though we never really get into it much more than that. But she definitely has this sense of, you know, it's a it's an interesting uh, character trait that she is, you know, doing things that are very illegal, um, but to keep culture and history alive. And, uh, you know, that's pretty fascinating. I mean, you know, there was a a tinge of that to what Kingpin was doing, but I think it works a lot better here because she's so invested in, you know, with Kingpin, it was like he just kind of grew up in the, in the area. But with her, I mean, she's connecting her place in Harlem. I mean, all the names, I mean, you gotta, you know, there's so many name, name drops throughout this series but just everyone she drops is some hugely prominent uh figure in like either harlem's history or just black american history in general in terms of history culture politics um all her building names just all all the things she references i think she really sees herself as part of this continuum of um you know black shapers of cultural of culture and history and and so that's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and again, one that I, you know, is unique to this area, to this, uh, to the black experience, to this show. So I think those were the elements that worked really well, you know, where you, you couldn't really do that in any other show. Um, so they, that was a really cool dynamic. Yeah. I mean, what, what did you think? So to back up a little bit, so opening credits. I thought they were better than the Jessica Jones opening credits, but not as good as the uh, Daredevil credits. I thought the music was really good with the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was interesting how, you know, the city kind of shown. It, I guess it was a little closer to the Daredevil credits in that, you know, a lot of the imagery. It's kind of a mix. Is like, yeah, projected. Yeah. Is like projected on his silhouette um, and stuff. But yeah, I went. Again, no. I mean, overall, the opening credits doesn't really matter much. No, but, I think it's uh, an important... I mean, for sure. Like, when I first saw them, I was actually kind of disappointed because they felt too similar to, like, Jessica Jones and some other shows. I, I've seen a lot of shows that have the sort of, like, superimposed, over-contrasted, yeah. you know, images and stuff. I feel like Jessica Jones sort of did that. But, and I mean, in a way, it's unfair because Daredevil's up there with, like, you know, Game of Thrones and other shows that just have these incredibly, right. like, singular opening credits. Um, but the more I watched them, I started really coming around and really, um, appreciating them. Um, I really like the idea of, you know, like the, you know, the whole city is like projected on his skin, you know, like his, the history of the city, the locations are like literally like etched onto his like black skin, you know, um, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was, you know, that's, that's a pretty powerful idea. Uh, you see, you know, Malcolm X Boulevard pop up a number of times, uh, mixed with like, you know, him, you know, breaking through walls and stuff. And, and then the music, I mean, it set like a really nice tone of not only the sort of detective noir thing, but also like, this is a show about Harlem. This is a show about black history, the black experience. So I think like in terms of being arresting, like it's going to be hard to top like the daredevil ones, uh, the daredevil credits, but in terms of sort of tonally, 
setting up the show, you know, that you're about to watch, which I guess you could argue is, you know, what the credits are supposed to do. I think it does as good of a job as the Daredevil ones of letting you know kind of in in this space, like, this is kind of the vibe. You know, like, if you were to show someone the opening credits, I feel like you would get a good sense of what the show is about. Um, Whereas the Jessica Jones one, I just just never really felt that. They just... You know, there's a little bit of the noir vibe, but other than that, it just, you know, it, it's not much of anything, the, yeah. those credits. So, yeah, the, the credits grew on me a lot, and uh, I think they're understated, but, yeah, I think they're really interesting. <clears throat> so, I get, I, you know, the one thing we wondered after Jessica Jones is, okay, what happens to Luke Cage? Like, where does he go? What does he do? Uh, and it looks like he left Hell's Kitchen and came to Harlem to kind of not hide out is maybe an overstatement, but he lay low. He's wanting to yeah. he's wanting to lay low. Yeah, yeah. Because we never really got like what his deal was in Jessica no, Jones. Like no. we knew he was working in the bar. We knew he was obviously there's more to him. And I mean, obviously, people that know the comics right, we, know the history of the character. It's kind of hard sometimes because sometimes I have to like remember what don't I know in the mcu yet you know because right, it's like right. i know how he got his powers and i know that he was in jail and all these things but i had to remember like did we know that in the show yet and i mean we did we really didn't i mean i think he says no no all we get in jessica jones is just he says like experiment you know and that like funny exchange between the two of them right so all we know is that he was experimented on and that's how he got his powers and i think that's about all the backstory we get from him and jessica jones Right. So we find out he's come. <clears throat> his wife uh, knows this this character called Pop, who's played played by Frankie Faison, who I love. Frankie Faison, yeah, um, another. I don't another know if you performer. Yeah, I don't know if you watched uh, that show Banshee. No, that was on no, recently. Um, it was a. I think I want to say it was it, Stars. Yeah, or Show or Showtime maybe. Cinemax. Cinemax. It was stars yeah, or Cinemax. One of the ones that Cinemax. are HBO. Yes, it was Cinemax okay. for sure, because they have that like revving engine sound when they have their logo pop up. Uh, anyway, so he he was on that show, um, which I haven't seen all of it. I've seen the first two seasons, because uh, it's on Amazon Prime, but that's all I've seen. Um, but you know, most people know him as Irvin Burrell from The Wire, where he was the commissioner, uh, the police commissioner on The Wire. Um, and I, I thought he was just fantastic uh on the wire is just this kind of anyway he was a pretty complicated character on the wire um but you can tell he's getting a little bit older uh but i i really like you know that he runs this barber shop and and we find out more about him too that yeah they uh, really you know, used in to, the two episodes we really like get a full kind of complete look at him which was which was good yeah yeah, I mean, it turns out he used to run with Cottonmouth and the rest of the gang back in the day. He, he's he been to prison. He kind of came back and wanted to – he basically saw the error of his ways and wanted to change. And so he opens up the barbershop, and the barbershop is kind of like this hub of where people can come, kids can come, you know, everybody can come and just kind of – you know, even if they're not there for a haircut, they can hang out. It's a safe place. Yeah. It's basically – they keep calling it Switzerland, right? It's right. this place where everybody can come. And they don't have to worry that, you know, there's going to be a gang dispute or some sort of other, you know, that, you know, nobody's got beef there. Right, like, even right. if they, you know, if there are problems outside, they don't come inside. Uh, and so he's he's really just trying to change the community. So it's kind of this whole, you know, this is where the dynamic comes in of, you know, 
where Cottonmouth is kind of perpetuating, you know, this this violence, right? The the gang mentality and, you know, recruiting people and kind of doing his bidding. And Pop is trying to basically reach out to the younger generation and say, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to be like this. You can, you know, you can work hard and study hard and, and you know, and, and get out of this. You don't need to kind of fall into these trappings. Um, and so Luke, um, uh, his his wife was anyway grew up in this environment grew up you know coming into pop's place and uh you know and was familiar with that so uh you know we find out that luke also you know met him you know before um you know when when him and reva were about to get married so he comes comes there to hang out and so he just he sweeps hair he kind of works off the books right uh and and during the day and then at night he works in um Cottonmouths, yeah, club, uh, washing dishes. You know, again, another job off the books. He's happy to just kind of lay low and just kind of do his own thing. Right, right. Because yeah, he doesn't. Obviously, he's got a fake name, um, or maybe not. Obviously, but he does have a fake name, and he's a fugitive. Yes. So, yeah, he's he's trying to, uh, you know, not get connected to anything uh, legally. And yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, uh, one of the fun things about the the netflix universe is you know in the in the movies and and in shield the idea of money is never an issue like they have unlimited resources and we never need to question why but in these shows like they all struggle they all have day jobs uh you know they all have you know rent due and you know wear shabby clothes and and i think luke especially you know in this first episode you really lay it out i mean he's He's dodging his landlord because he can't pay for rent. He's working off the books because he went to jail and he's a fugitive. Um, he's got to work, you know, at all all day and all night doing kind of, you know, crummy low-level jobs. And, I mean, you know, he's a regular, you know, American. And, I, and I'm sure that's an experience that a lot of black, you know, ex-cons have to face too. So yeah, I, I like that, that he, you know here's this guy who's like has superpowers and yet he's got to like skulk around to avoid his landlord because he can't, you know, pay or rent. Yeah. Um, so I, I just like little layers like that, that really makes, you know, them feel more like, you know, real people like working class people. Yeah. And then, you know, pop knows who Luke is. Luke is, he knows that he has these abilities. He even calls him power man, yep. which I thought is, was, was hilarious. Great. He calls him power man a couple of times. It's kind of a joke, you know, he's kind right. of teasing him. Um, but, it kind of, but you know, he even says like, it, one of the things he said, he said, you know, you should help other people. He said like those fellows downtown. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if he was meaning, cause he said fellas. So that means to me, it means like male. So I'm, I obviously I'm sure he means uh, daredevil but there's also a lot of talk about the incident you know in the netflix yeah. shows they don't overtly call it you know what it is like even on agents of shield it's called the incident so i don't i i think he was referring to all of yeah, them. yeah i think just you know because that happened like in midtown so i think just right i think downtown is just where all those other superheroes are you know like the, in, yeah. the incident was in midtown and then daredevil and I guess maybe I guess could, Avengers Tower is, right. is, is right there. And I guess you could kind of maybe throw Jessica Jones in there and maybe fellas is just, you know, just sure. the same people or, or whatever. But but I guess she was pretty – she wasn't really openly like a hero the way like right. Daredevil and the rest of them were. So, yeah, I'm assuming he means like Daredevil and the Avengers. Yeah. Um, but I like how, you know, even when he's when he's walking down the street, there's that guy on the corner. Yeah. 
that's selling footage of the incident, yeah. which is cool because it's actually like footage he shot. Like this isn't like a bootleg, like right? Yeah, that was know, video. That's we find out you later, know, now like, it, him and his friend like have a whole yeah. have a whole. Ring. Or I, I guess he mentions it then. He says his friend has a red camera, which I was like, oh damn, that's yeah. a that's an expensive <laughs> camera. Yeah. But, uh, so I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, it's 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 kind of a take on, you know, you walk around, you know, any any major oh, city and there's people yeah. selling, you know, bootlegs of this and bootlegs of that. And this guy's here, he's selling legit, you know, uh, video. Right, right. Know? I mean, that's true. Yeah, um, it's not like a bootleg. I mean, this is like a real thing that happened. I mean, that's, yeah, you don't often have someone hawking DVDs of like a, a you know, a historical event, you know? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so that's. I guess it's kind of crazy. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could say that a parallel would be if someone was, like, selling footage of, like, September 11th or something. I guess maybe it's yeah. a little weirder if you think about it in those terms. Like, it was a, a yeah. terrorist attack. Yeah. and But, you know, I guess let's not think about it that much. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, that would be the closest real-world analogy, so that would be a little weirder. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, yeah, it's interesting to think. I, I would almost love, like, a side story of just those those kids, like, running around, like, filming, like... All, all of the Avengers and the Defenders exploits and just yeah. What's that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal that he made a couple years ago where he's like oh, the night, crazy Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler, yeah. yeah. It's like these two dudes that are just yeah. running around. I think that that could be a footage. good like one shot or something. Yeah, yeah, that'd be funny. Um, but yeah, so Luke goes to his night job, which is washing dishes in in the club and Cotton Mall's club. Yeah, and. It, funny enough, we we don't realize it. That's it's at that point, but Misty Knight is undercover, mm-hmm. uh, sitting at the bar, and the bartender calls in sick, quote unquote, right? Because um, he happens to be you know working with the other guy that's in the because you know there's a whole bit in the barbershop where you know they keep making fun of of Luke because it's like you know what's wrong with you? You know you're just sitting here sweeping hair, and I'm you know. Uh, you right, know, he's I like can, a rising you know, I'm making, basketball star. I think is like yeah, and I'm doing all this, and he's Chico. you know basically like you've never worked a day in your life. You know, how, you know why? You know, maybe you should you know actually do some real work. And you know, there's that whole banter back and forth that goes you know that's going on in the shop with yeah. them, and so that was interesting. So <clears throat> so he ends up uh, bartending, but Missy Misty Knight is is kind of there undercover, which is kind of funny because she seems like a known quantity in that. Uh, in that community, right? So it she just does. doesn't seem like she would blend very right. well. There was but... like, there was some. Mo- I mean, yeah. When you really think about it, like it, she would be pretty recognizable. Like I would imagine, there's probably not tons of female detectives. She grew up in that area, knows a lot of the people. She was a college basketball star and was a basketball yeah. player in that neighborhood, smoking right. And then she's <laughs> I mean, just gorgeous. I, exactly. I mean, you know, like. Very beautiful, big hair, like, you know, eye-catching dress. I mean, again, all th- all things that you would think would rule her out for going undercover. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. she's not blending in. She's very well-known in the community. It, it does seem like she's a, a terrible choice to be undercover. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, um, she's going to get more information than Scarf will, so... Yeah, but but I like the again I like the banter back and forth with Luke yeah, and, and they Misty. They really good where, chemistry. Yeah, yeah, and of course they you know again you know he ends up taking her home and they don't even know who each other is and they just have this one night stand which again very risque very sure very yeah adult yeah definitely um, and and they don't you know they don't shy away from it and and you know when they no, bring no. it up you know in some future episodes it's not like you know it's never like looked on as 
whoa, you like hooked up with this stranger? You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, they're both adults. It was, you know, it was no big deal. I, yeah, I, I appreciate those little things where it's, they're not afraid to just treat these people like real people, you know, like real I mean, people, yeah. you know, two attractive people that met in a bar. So, I mean, but again, the other thing is we get a real tie in to, I would say this is maybe the closest tie in. Well, I guess Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has had actual characters show up in the show, but this is probably tied in more so than the other shows uh, because we find out that, that Cottonmouth is dealing in hammer tech guns. Yeah, they drop a uh, number of hammer references, which yes, I was – Yes, I mean, it's surprising because it's, you know, it's a character that obviously was in one movie and then, you know, the one shot. And I guess the one shot is kind of a weird little connection too because he was in Seagate, Justin Hammer's – presumably still yes. in seagate while luke is there and i and they mm-hmm. actually i think this is in episode four but they actually make like a little reference that i think is supposed to be to justin hammer about uh rumors of like a millionaire in the basement so i'm yeah, assuming that's yeah. supposed to be him but yeah that was a I, it was it was fun because i mean yeah he's a he's an arms dealer uh with stark out of the game presumably he's one of the biggest arms dealers so yeah it was a fun little thing that like everybody knows like yeah this is just like hammer's got like the high-tech weaponry even though he's not really a quantity in the mcu and he's in jail he's you know his stuff's still out there his company yeah i mean his right, company totally still i'm sure on. he's I mean, still running his company <clears throat> so. in some capacity from you know from yeah. prison so i, I mean i'd love and a he, future return of sam rockwell uh, oh yeah for sure <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt so maybe we'll pop um, but, up on luke cage season two or yeah but we find out that's kind of what the the impetus is. So right. uh, Mariah gave Cornell money to revamp his club, um, and again, from her perspective, makes sense, right? The club, you know, revitalizing this club in this area to bring in, um, you know, the 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 type of artists they want to bring in to bring in the clientele. Yeah. Um, it makes sense for for her her what she wants to do, and it's a personal thing for Cornell. And he basically is going to give her the money that she embezzled from her campaign to fund right. it by selling these guns. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so all the all the while this is going on, two of two of Cottonmouth's men decides they're gonna they're gonna basically um, jump the the sale and steal the money and kind of leave everybody you know in in a state of disarray, which kind of sets everything in motion for the rest of the series and um especially for for episode two so yeah well they weren't uh, so only dante was i think was technically caught working with cottonmouth right Right. because he he's he's the one that he's the inside one he's the bartender that replaces right and he lets his friends chico and shamik know about this deal so i think they're they're previously unrelated even though chico's dad was running with Cottonmouth and Pop back in right, the day. But right. he doesn't know his dad, right. and, and it seems like him and Shamik are just, uh, you know, ostensibly regular teenagers, basketball players, and and Dante is the only one kind of mixed up in this, uh, though maybe he's only a bartender and somehow knows all this information. Um, yeah. They don't really seem like they're part of the organization, per se, but they, yeah, so they get all the info and decide, you know, they're... Uh, they get a little big for their britches and think that they can, uh, you know, take all this money from this deal of these, you know, two rival gangs that control most of Harlem. Yeah, exactly. And it goes swimmingly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Translation, it all goes to yeah. hell. Um, <clears throat> but the other 
character that shows up quite a bit in the series, more so than I even thought he would, and, and a, as a much bigger player than I thought he was, uh, is Theo Rossi as his Shades Alvarez. And right, did you get the in? Did they no, nothing overt? But did you did you get the intention that he has some sort of power that he because he was in Seagate also he didn't seem to be surprised that there was some experimentation going on. They I, I, oh, when we get to a future know. episode, they'll talk about I it. I didn't think about, but that. he makes he makes a point of like I have to look you in the eyes, and he takes the sunglasses off, and he yeah. he always makes a point of needing to wear the sunglasses. Yeah, I. I could definitely see that, but I guess my my feeling was more that it was just the idea that, you know, sort of look someone face to face and like tell me the truth and I'll, you know, I'll be able to sort of tell whether you're lying just, you know, just in like, uh, I just need to look you in the eyes and like hear this from you. And, and the Shades thing just felt like, I mean, that just felt like a super comic booky thing. This guy named Shades because he wears sunglasses yeah, I mean, all the it, time. Like, how could you possibly yeah, see... It's like pitch black outside. He's wearing sunglasses. Like, couldn't see a thing. <laughs> One of the things we didn't talk about is going back to the comics real quick. So Shades is a is a Luke Cage uh, character from right. from Jump. I mean, he's in there from from number one, just like Diamondback, who we'll we'll meet later yeah. on. Um, Mariah Dillard, who horribly they you know she was referred to as Black Mariah in the comics because you know it's like every time there was a black character in a comic book back then they had to put the name Black in front yeah. of it for some well, reason. Yeah, well, and what I didn't know uh, until the other day was that I guess that was eight Black Mariah was eighteen hundred slang for uh, the paddy wagons that they would in uh, Harlem that they would like arrest, oh, arrest black right? people with. Oh, yeah, so I think that's where the original seventies like character name came from. But gotcha, yeah, I, gotcha. I mean, I had no idea about that. But I, I guess that's something that would be relevant in, in maybe in Harlem, at least in the seventies or something. So, um, right? Yeah, that's sort of an you know little bonus added thing. But yeah, definitely negative, very negative connotations. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing is, Luke Cage grew up in Harlem in the comics. Like yeah. that, that was you know, he ran. It's almost like the gang that pop. The it's almost like the pop character was the Luke Cage yeah, character. Kinda, yeah. Um, you know, because they ran together and then... Like him and Luke, Diamondback Luke. run, run right. together. Right, um, right. Which, yeah, I mean, we'll get we'll get to all that stuff. But. So so that's a bit of a switch. So in this, Luke never grew up in Harlem. He grew up in Savannah, Georgia. His father was a preacher. We'll find find more of this later. But, you know, he, he tells him, look, you know, Chicago. And then Pop's like, you did not grow up in Chicago. You, you know, basically, you might have lived in Chicago for a little bit, but you did not grow up in Chicago. And, uh, you know, he says, no, Savannah, Georgia. And so that's a pretty big change. But I it's, think... It's, honestly, I think it's one of the only... That and him being a cop are, like, the two... Yeah, which that kind of didn't... Yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that later really as we get further on. Anywhere. That was a weird yeah. addition. Um, but. but I think I think the reason that it was done, maybe, is because there's a lot of exposition that needs to get happen as far as like who these characters are. And a lot of that is explained to Luke. Yeah. It, and yeah, I think exactly he's us in he, a lot of ways. He's us. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it so was a, a reason smart, to explain that, it. That was a smart decision. Cause I mean, um, I mean, you could argue either way that him being tied to, to Harlem is important, but I think it's also good because, um, it makes his heroism not be about protecting the place that he, that he's from. It's just the idea that, it's a community and there's people in it needs to protect it. Um, right. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it worked. It, it worked as a decision, you know. And then that whole bit, you know, again, the, the cotton mouth stuff, I think is just, is just awesome. Uh, 
you know, he, the, the whole that whole bit he gives where he's standing in front of that poster of Biggie. Yeah, and you know it makes it makes it seem like the crown is on his head. Yeah, it was great. Uh, which I thought was 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 really great. There were some great um, shots in those first two episodes. Yeah, yeah, and just the way he laughs, like oh when somebody God, tells yeah. him something that's just so you know he's just like ridiculous or whatever, and he just starts busting out la- that, like that that crazy laugh. Um, yeah, he also did like a weird I, little. He would do this weird little tongue flick thing. That it took yeah. me a while to wonder, was that like a snake type thing he was doing? Or I don't, yeah. or was that just a weird... I, I don't know. I mean, I liked it. It was a weird little idiosyncrasy with his character. Yeah. But. yeah. <clears throat> and then there's a bit, like in episode two... When he when Co- when Cottonmouth finally finds out everything that's going on... And he, you know, he confronts uh, on the roof and he's, you know, because... Oh, oh, Tone. No, 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 Tone. tone. Right, right, right. When he confronts Tone because Tone... So, yeah, so Turk Barrett shows up, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, that like, was he, a- Turk Barrett shows up in episode two in the barbershop playing uh, playing chess with Bobby Fish, yeah. which I thought was awesome. Bobby Fish, Bobby yeah, Fish. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, and that the guy that plays him... Uh, Ron Cephas Jones, like that dude's in everything yeah. lately. Like he was, he's in Mr. Uh, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. He was in the Get Down. I don't know if you watched I the Get Down seen yet. That yet. No, but it's funny in the Get Down. He plays the guy. Uh, he plays the father of the of a bunch of the kids that are in the show, and they run a beauty salon slash barber shop <laughs> um, in in uh, in New York. So it's really kind of funny yeah. that he's he's in there playing playing check. Uh, chess in this in this barbershop um which i i he's he's just really great he, he has this great. kind of very they f- they f- very particular way of speaking yeah. and uh uh and just that long beard you know just very kind of like sage uh kind of guy yeah he was definitely um, like this sort of beatnik throwback guy and yeah he has some great yeah. some great rapport with luke later on and yeah yeah they they did yeah. a good job with him being sort of like a fleshed out like tertiary character yeah <clears throat> but then Turk shows up in episode two and he's playing chess with him. And obviously Turk, you know, when Chico shows up, Turk kind of gets that Turk's always out for Turk. So he works with tone and basically calls him and says, yeah, Hey, that guy you're looking for. Yeah. He's over at pops. And so tone kind of takes it on himself. They end up shooting up pops and, you know, pop is killed. Um, but there's a bit when, when Turk comes up for his money and they're all on the roof of that, of the bill of the club. Uh, and, uh, Tone calls him Cottonmouth, and he just flips. Yeah, he, he like loses it. he is, he just loses it. And it, you know, and and he's like, "Well, what about you know, Turk's? Like, what about my money?" And he's like, "Okay, you want your money? You're gonna have to." And he just throws him off the yeah, roof. Yeah, that was and, and a great shot. Like the camera, it was awesome the whole it way. Was, and oh man, yes, <laughs> it was brutal. Yes. Really well done. Yeah, really well done. It, and then Turk's like, "Okay, I'm I'm going back to." <laughs> to I'm I'm going back to Hell's Kitchen because you people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, doesn't quite say it in that in that way, but yeah, uh, basically, but yeah. yeah. I, I I thought that was great. Yeah. Uh, but he asked him, he's like, "Who are you?" He's like, "I'm Turk Barrett, baby." Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, uh, "I love Turk. I love it when he shows up." So so far, he showed up in in a. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of cameos uh, coming up. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, I I feel like this had the most cameos. Maybe one of the things we. You know, we've kind of been a little spotty in our talking to Luke Cage. We've we've kind of bounced around these two episodes quite a bit. But one of the things we haven't touched on yet is the way that episode two is bookended. So it starts with Luke standing, looking at Crispus Attucks, and uh, this this kid comes up behind him, pulls a gun to his head, calls him the N-word, and Luke gets 
furious and says, like, you're going to call me that? You know, first he says, like, look, I've had a really bad day. Like, don't, right. d- d- don't, don't, don't mess with me. But then he tells him, he's like, look, you're going to call me that, that name, use that word while we're standing in front of a building named after the greatest, not only the greatest hero, you know, arguably in, in black history, but in American history. I mean, Crispus Attucks was like the first yep. victim of, you know, what, what is really this, the revolutionary war. Yep. Um, and goes on about how, you know, he stood up and he didn't back down and, you know, all this other stuff. We cut to the to the uh, to the to the meat of the episode and then we come back to it at the end. It's much more powerful at the end because, yeah. you know, we get a we get to see everything he's been through. But then he turns around and he put, you know, he he he. He tells him, he's like, you know, pull the trigger, you know, just just do it. You know, he just gets enraged and crazy and puts the gun up to his head uh, and everything else. And this kid is just like freaked out and starts running. Right. And it's like um, not even the idea that he's bulletproof isn't even there. It's just like, yeah, this is a person who like is just like, yeah, it, it was a some powerful. I mean, that was a, a hell of a performance from Mike Coulter. Yeah, because he's like, you know, just like the spits coming out of his mouth, and he's just like enraged. And it, it and it's it, it's an interesting thing too that they've done with this series, where there's there's some characters that are just like carefree about the way they talk to each other and the name and the, and the, and the words they throw out there. And Luke right. seems very much against that. And even we get Mariah too, like, like Cottonmouth even throws, throws the N word out there and Mariah, you know, I hate that word. Like I, I cannot right. stand that word. And then he, he, he takes it even Cottonmouth takes it even a step further. You know, he, he, he goes further in, in what he says. And Luke is kind of that way too, where he's like, look, I, I don't, you know, you know, this needs to stop. Like we need to, you know, and, and he's very, very adamant about, you know, and he, you know, he talks about how he doesn't curse and all this, you know, other kind of stuff too. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, I mean, it's a real conversation that people have and it's something that you obviously don't get to see that much on, on TV until you have a show that's, you know, written by black writers and starring, you know, black actors and, you know, and you get a chance to sort of like have this discussion because you know, it is, from a historical, from a racial, from a linguistic standpoint. I mean, it's this, this very sort of peculiar little area of, you know, in terms of like, uh, what does this word mean? And what are the, what does it mean in these different contexts and how do you, yeah. different people feel about it? And it's changed so much in the past, you know, few decades because it's become so, so much a part of like, uh, pop culture and pop music and stuff, but it, it's still this powerful word. And it, yeah, it's a fascinating discussion that I've always been fascinated by. So I, I, I'm really interested to hear, you know, these creative people like talk about it in this setting and, and sort of deal with it and how that affects these different characters and how they view themselves and how it plays into the history of Harlem. I mean, again, just yeah. another one of the things that blows me away about, you know, like we're talking about all these things. And oh, by the way, we're talking about a superhero show. You know, yeah. this guy, he ends yeah. the scene by shooting himself in the stomach. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. The, the, the other, the other thing that comes out too, that we'll find out more of is they, they talk about mama Mabel, uh, yeah. And how she was kind of the, the kingpin of, of Harlem, you know, prior to, uh, you know, Cottonmouth's ascension. Uh, and, and we'll find out a lot more about her character and, and Cottonmouth and, 
uh, and Mariah's upbringing as the as the series goes on, which kind of is very interesting to see where Cottonmouth is versus where he was. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so this will be. So this will be interesting. Um, there's a lot of. I thought the Misty basketball scene was pretty cool. Yes, uh, you know oh, where she shows up that. on the court. Yeah, schools them and then is like points out her name. Like yes, yes, you know. Okay, that's me. Yeah, it's great. So good. And I was also watching those scenes. Like the way they cut them and the way they shoot them. Like it looks like that's Simone Missick. Like making those shots. Like. I think she really they pulled that from her because I think I was looking at her bio and I think she really oh. did play ball. Okay, that's awesome. Mistaken. Yeah, because that's not something from the comics. No, um, but those shots. I mean, that first one where she sinks that shot. I mean, it, it the camera doesn't cut, you know. So I was like, I was like, damn, that's cool. But yeah, that's that's a nice little. That's a great thing they do with uh, characters in TV shows. You know, it's find something real they can do and then write it into the character because. You know, then it just becomes this authentic thing that they can draw from. Yeah, yeah. She was varsity captain of her basketball team, a senior year of high school. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. a great scene. Uh, you know, again, Pop being being killed. Uh, you know, we talked about Cottonmouth throwing Tone off the roof. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that was brutal. I mean, yeah, it was it was terrible. He's only been there two episodes, but you know, you really do feel like that was like a major character we just lost. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I thought I don't I don't think we've touched on yet is Misty kind of has this weird thing. I don't even call it a superpower, but it's yeah, yeah, where she goes into like this trance of of crime scene reconstruction. Yeah, it's sort uh, of like a almost like a photographic memory. Yeah, immersive. It's cool. I the show does that a lot. They do it with some flashbacks. They, there's a weird dream like state to some of the things. Like there was a Luke flashback where he like is, he's looking at one of his books and then it becomes him being handed it in jail by, by, um, uh, I don't know. There was just like, there's a couple of scenes where that sort of like the dream and the memory sort of blur with the reality, the way they direct it. And, And I really like that. There's a few scenes where like, actions going on and then all of a sudden misty's there and then you realize it was her in the flashback um yeah it, it was a cool thing and and while it's not i don't think it's supposed to be a superpower i think it's just like a like you were saying it's you know it, it's just like a cool way of showing us like visualizing that she, you know she she's got this really sort of immersive way of like reconstructing these events which is cool you know it was a it can be hard to visualize what a detective is doing in their mind. So yeah, I thought that was a really smart way to do it. Yeah. And it, and scarf even, he's like, man, I hate when you do that. It freaks me out. Like yeah. she's, cause she's completely like spaced out when it happens. Yeah. And it's great. It makes, it tells us like, this is a very talented detective, you know? Yeah. Which is cool. But two other things uh, that, I, that I forgot to, to talk about. Uh, one of them is the freebie list at the barbershop. The fact that he's got like, Oh Pacino, yeah, Chino, Robert De Niro. Uh, what? Uh, well, I don't, you know, he's he's I don't got think... this list of. Oh folks yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if, uh, if Rob, they Roundtree, Pat yeah. Riley, Pat Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if they come in, they don't have to pay. Uh, right. I think Muhammad Ali was on there too. Was he? he? Maybe. I don't know, but yeah, I, yeah. There, there's a lot of yeah. There's this episode is or this show is great for sort of like name dropping like pop culture and historical. Yeah people i mean they they're just constantly doing it which i think is is great i mean it's it's fun and then when cottonmouth comes in for a shave 
he goes to walk out and Luke says, oh, Hey, yeah. you know, you, if your name ain't on that list, you need to pay. And pop is like super nervous when he does it. But, but you know, he, yeah. Mouth end up, you know, his guy ends up throwing the money at him. Tone ends up throwing the money. Yeah. At him. Well, in the uh, scene earlier where he's Luke's like, looks like you've got some dirty towels here. I could yes. take them out. No, yes. no problem at all. That was, Oh, that was yes. a really great, like tense, He's furious because, and obviously he recognizes, I don't know if we talked about this, but he recognizes Shades, Shades earlier yeah. in the episode um, as someone he knew in prison. So, yeah, he's he's just seething at this point. Yeah. And, and, we, and uh, we, you know, everybody pretty much knows that it's pretty obvious that Cottonmouth killed Shamik. Right, right. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, Luke is pissed. Yeah. But <laughs> again. Room in half. <laughs> Yeah, the the barbershop is Switzerland. So even though right. Pop is like, yeah, he deserves it. They all deserve it. But this is not the place. And, right, and it's right. not going to be the place. We're not going to do this here. Right. Uh, so I thought that was cool. The, the other thing, and this is kind of something that Cheo um, Coker has come out and said, is the swear jar. So they make a point of this swear jar. So every time right. somebody uses foul language, they got to put money in the thing. And uh, I guess one – because uh, – because music is so integral to the show and there's been a few like in in episode 1 Rafael Sadiq shows up uh you know he's he's kind of singing the song uh, at the club and they have other folks come in and and do musical numbers uh, you know yeah. in the show uh they wanted to see if they could get prince to come in and so i oh, guess really? i guess the deal is is that prince in his house because he's like a devout jehovah's witness or was sorry uh he he didn't curse and allow swearing so if you went to his house, which he – reading you know, accounts of it now, it looks like he always had people over. He was always throwing parties and, and things like that at his house in Minnesota. Uh, he had a swear jar. And if you came into his house and you cursed, you had to put money in the swear jar. And wow. so they put that into Luke Cage thinking they could get – you know use that as kind of a way to entice him to come wow. to come oh onto the show and do a number uh, in the club. And unfortunately, he passed, and they and they could never get around to to making that happen, which is really unfortunate. Wow, that's a great uh, that's a great behind the scenes uh, little tidbit, though. I yeah, did not know that. but could you imagine if if they? Yeah, I mean, that would have been it's, wild. It's a, I mean, the whole Prince thing is a is a just a, a absolute shame. Um, but man, if they could have got him on that show, I mean, it would have been it would have been something pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, man, that's wild to think about. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things, uh, just to wrap up before we wrap up here real quick, uh, I want to touch on also is there's music is fairly integral to the show and the soundtrack has kind of that seventies funky hip hoppy kind of, uh, vibe. it blends like jazz and funk and hip hop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are times when I think it didn't go far enough. Like I think they should have. I think they should have dug in even deeper on that. I think I expected there to be a lot more either original music or licensed music. And maybe this is just a perception thing of, of on my part. Uh, no, I know what you're it talking It isn't fair, but, you know, we had a couple, I think there were three different times when they, they had, you know, folks singing at the club. I, I thought that was going to be more of a thing. Like, they were going to just really dive in a little deeper. Um, and and they, given... Yeah, they do it a bit. I mean, I, I'd say there's maybe five or six in the entire series of those harlem's paradise performances is it really okay often yeah, yeah because there's um there's Raphael sadiq then the next one i think is faith evans then the next one's charles bradley 
then the then the flashback doesn't have one, and then there's that uh, Jadina. Or I don't really know who he is, but the rapper. Oh and, right, right, and right. And then I think there's one more soul singer, uh, like an older female soul singer, like in episode six or seven. Right, right. So they they do that a, a number of times, which I thought was really cool. But yeah, there's not a lot of you know, a, there's only a handful of times that there's songs that we sort of like recognize being integrated into the, into the show. And maybe that was on purpose to give, to give the folks, you know, behind the music a chance to really kind of shine and do their thing. But, um, I, I don't know, maybe it was just cause of the trailers, you know, uh, no, really, I know what you mean. Yeah. You it, really put that in there. Um, it, it seemed like that was going to be like a little more guardians of the galaxy style where there was going to yeah. be like a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, songs, but um, yeah, it could have just been. I mean, maybe once they got to the point where they had, you know, um, you know, the people composing the music that they did, they they just wanted to let them do their own thing. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Uh, so that was episodes one and two of Luke Cage. Uh, next time we record and we talk Agents of Shield, we'll try and hit episodes three and four, um, and hopefully we'll have some some more folks on to to talk uh, about it as well. Um, anything else you've got, Matthew? No, no. I, I, you know, I definitely think we'll get into it more as each episode goes along. Some of the other details, but yeah, I think that covers covers the first two. Cool. All right. Well, it sounds good. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, like we mentioned before, keep an eye out on the contest. We're going to run that through October. Uh, we'll announce a winner on the uh, Doctor Strange show. And uh, check out the Facebook group, the Twitter account. Uh, remember, email IAC at HHW.com, HHWLOD.com. Uh, and uh, check out, uh, you know, always check out what uh, Matthew has going on and the folks over at MCUExchange.com have as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>